Everybody and welcome to episode 83 of Bang Bang Podcast. My name is Andy. Yeah, that's right. That shouldn't have been a question. That should have been uh, a statement. Well, my name is Andy, and yeah, this is Bang Bang, and we talk about wrestling and Lovejoy and Boone. And last week there was a fair amount of Kenny Loggins chat, but the general kind of gist of the show is normally wrestling. So we talk about a specific pay-per-view or event from this week in history and uh, we've got a nice little treat coming up tonight but we'll get to that in a minute last week was episode 82 obviously uh and that we were joined by uh utc rob to talk about the um lovely nxt takeover from chicago um looking back at that episode i i've kind of had this i always think back to those old NXT takeovers as being everyone was like a, a winner and fantastic and there were some good moments on that show but it was a bit kind of like it was almost we'd gone past that kind of peak of NXT and we were slowly kind of drifting down the other way but um but it was a good show it was good to have a chat with Rob obviously I'm just looking through my notes because I've uh um uh, yeah there we go I got the right notes <laughs> professional but yeah that was Rob um and a very happy Rob, obviously, because um, Huddersfield got through to the playoff final at Wembley. So we'll probably hear all about that on Twitter in the next few weeks. But um, yeah, so this week, this week, we're joined by uh, a man of, uh, but his finger in a few pies, I'd say. No, not literally. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like, I can see him now. I can't see his fingers, but. I'm assuming they're not actually, and uh, it's uh, one part of the uh, One Man's Meat podcast and the various 
off well one of the offshoots that the disgusting awful uh and uh solo venture as well of the um acceptable in the 90s podcast all available on the other on the utt channel is that right i'm i'm looking and it's mr chris bellis anyway hello chris Hello, Andy. Lovely to see you again, mate. So you were you were very nearly there. So um, the <laughs> the the main episodes of One Man's Meet are on the the UTT feed. So we're kind of a um, developmental brand to UTT, if you like. So we're kind of the um, well, I wouldn't say ECW, uh, maybe the the 2006 ECW um, to their well, whatever you two are. I mean, which one's WWE, which one's WCW? I don't quite know. But um, any any spin-off shows, mate, are on our main feed at One Man's Meet Podcast. But thank oh, you for the plugs. Much appreciated. Oh, of course. Nice no, girl. I especially enjoyed the... I do I do like, you know, a bit of classic horror. So I enjoy the uh, disgusting awful, especially the Hellraiser episode. I like that. Oh, nice one, mate. Well, we've got a real treat for you then, because um, by the time that this episode of Bang Bang comes out... Um, the latest episode of Disgusting Awful will have come out, which will be looking at Wes Craven's 1989 classic Shocker. Oh, I was, um, well, uh, I, that popped up into my head the other day. I think that's actually uh, one of the people that turns up in this pay-per-view, reminding me a bit of uh, the main character from Shocker. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, spoilers there. Yeah, mm. well, uh, yeah, the, the guy wears a... A jumpsuit that would not look out of place on Bob's back, Bill Collie. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. there you go. Yeah, but um, no, good shows. And obviously, Scottish Danny was with us for a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah, you guys are um, are definitely becoming part of that kind of. We've got the, the obviously the UTT and Bang Bang and uh, oh, you know, Mags and Sai and that kind of. Uh, it's like a golden era of podcasting. So I heard somebody say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as as Danny and I like to say, mate, I think we found the one um, positive corner of wrestling Twitter, and it's just really nice. Like we've had so much support and so much great advice from you guys as well. And again, if it wasn't for yourself and UTT, neither of us would even think about recording. So um, very thankful, and thank you for having me on again. Oh, I know. That's one thing again uh, with uh, uh, Morty as well. The Morty and Fitch uh, show. Morty's very, uh, very clear to everybody that he blames he blames this show for him and Fitch actually, you know, getting back together and, and doing a show and and talking. So I, I, on a weekly basis, I apologise to that. Um, but it's nice. I mean, again, if anything, this show proves that any any fucking idiot can can do it. So I'm not saying you guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> But, um, no, no, man. I mean, don't don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, um, you know, you're um, you're one of the better shows out there, and uh, you know, credit where credit's due. It, it's a complete one man operation, and you know, you're managing to juggle this and you know, a, a student nursing career, which I certainly couldn't have done. So props to you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And touch wood, so far my results have been have been quite good. I've got another assessment coming up in a few weeks' time, so. If the show suddenly vanishes, then you can just assume that that didn't go very well. But <laughs> I've kind of, uh, yeah, I didn't do, I had that sort of time off the start of the year. And that was while I was doing my first couple of modules. And when I finished them, I was like, right, as a little treat, we'll get back to uh, get back to doing the podcast. I missed it for the time I wasn't doing it after Christmas. Um, you kind of get used to, and again, it's I, like I was having a chat with somebody every day, um, Patch, 
Uber's on the show, does the Free Peeps for the podcast. Um, and we were talking and I was like, actually, I just quite like having a chat to people every week about wrestling and having a drink. And even if we went together, the whole the whole premise of the show to start off with was me and Steve having a chat. It was an excuse for us to get together every week, basically, and just have the same conversations we would have in the pub uh, and just record them sat in his living room, sharing each other over a tablet. But um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the main reason. And again, I, you know, I enjoy it. And if people like it, then it's great. And people do seem to like it. So. Yeah, so keep going. But um yeah. Absolutely, so mate. Keep it up. this week this week we're heading back to nineteen ninety three, May the twenty third, nineteen ninety three. Um and as is tradition, well sometimes it depends if it's a good top ten or not, but this is kind of in the middle, this top ten. But um but yeah. So we're talking about Slambury nine ninety three. We'll get to that in a moment. But we're gonna have a quick look at the top 10 of the uk pop charts from may 23rd 1993 so chris you're a man of uh very uh esteemed musical tastes i think you're uh i do uh, uh eclectic musical tastes yeah um i like to say yeah when it when it comes to music um i don't leave any stone unturned i mean you know there's some there's some crap out there but uh you know it's entertaining crap as far as i'm concerned yeah, and you've got a lovely singing voice yourself as well. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, <laughs> always on YouTube at least once a month if anyone's interested in a cure for NAC collection. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the cure for narcolepsy, uh, number 10 is Everybody Hurts by uh, R.E.M. Now, I like R.E.M. Um, yeah, and um, I like this tune. I've, I've, I've got a little um, did you know story about this, actually. Um, I, okay. I don't know how true it is, but um, there was a, a girl um, at our school that had actually um, come to live in Hesel, the village where I grew up in, uh, from Canada, which boggles my mind, but there you go. And apparently, um, Michael Stipe had written this song about her aunt. Okay. Um, it, she was basically the woman that he came out to, before yeah. it was public knowledge, and um, this was what he wrote to her about it, because they were in a quite a long relationship at the time and uh, he realised that, you know, he was homosexual and he wrote that to us to, in order to try and appease her a bit, I think. Yeah, I think I, um, so obviously this was, what, 1993, so this album, mm. uh, was Automatic for the People, was enormous, wasn't it? It was like literally oh, yeah. everywhere. Absolutely. I got into them, I think the album after this was Monster, which was 94, 95, which was just after Kurt Cobain had died. And I think that album was written pretty much in the aftermath of that. And oh I yeah, like it was like a, a complete tonal change as well, wasn't it? Like yeah. um, Monster was probably my album for REM, and then I worked. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, same as me. Yeah, yeah. And again, they were kind of at this time. I was thinking, oh, this fucking song was like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Then when I actually got into them through Monster and went back to listen to the older stuff, um, and then I loved. I mean, I saw them at Glastonbury in '99. I think they headlined one of the nights at Glastonbury. Yeah, yeah, they did that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that was most notable for, uh, there was a guy who we got into a bit of a uh, verbal altercation with, and we called him Ming the Merciless, this is in the crowd, called him Ming the Merciless, because uh, he looked a bit like Ming the Merciless. <laughs> and uh, my mate, who was uh, diabetic, used to carry Lucozade around with him all the time. 
and he had an empty bottle of Lucasade, which he urinated in and chucked it in, being the merciless. So that's a nice uh, hygienic story for uh, it's Glastonbury. So come on, it was the nineties as well. So absolutely, don't don't throw urine at people, people. Well, um, unless they are intergalactic dictators and warmongers, then you know you've got carte blanche. Yeah, he had it coming. I think. Yeah. Um, in these arms, my Bon Jovi. Are you a Bon Jovi fan? Um. I'm a specific Bon Jovi fan, so um, Slippery When Wet is an absolute classic of an album, but um, okay. I mean, the guy's got a wonderful voice, but it's it's not my type of rock, to be honest. I can remember when he cut his hair, and mm. uh, was it Keep the Faith, I think, it was a video. That's right, yeah, yeah. And it was like, yeah. oh my God, he's he's cut his hair, he's got like a sensible haircut almost. Mm. <laughs> That was it. Was generally around that time as well, where um, you know you got thinking. Well, actually, now that he looks like a bank manager, um, his music isn't that good, really. No, no. Yeah. But um, you can't argue with a bit of "You Give Love a Bad Name," though. That is a, an absolute stone cold classic. Yeah, yeah. And again, they they, they have their moments, Bon Jovi, don't they? This oh, is yeah, kind of yeah. veering into ballady, kind of, and it? it's that that sort of that time period it's like early 90s so when did he yeah. i mean he cut his hair by this point didn't he oh I'm definitely sure he had. yeah 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 that's the beginning of the end wasn't it, basically what film it was, was. He? he was in the film wasn't he bon, uh, john bon jovi what film yeah, was, was it oh it wasn't young guns 2 was it i, I know we did young all... guns 2 yeah i know we definitely did a lot of the soundtrack for it but um it would make a lot like of sense a... using it as well a Ron Crom, Ron, a Ron Crom. That's right. I've been, I've been drinking. Um, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh goodness me. Filmography. Wow. Um, he must have been in. Oh, then he will have a filmography because he was in Ali McBeal as well, wasn't he? Yeah. There's nothing I can see. Moonlight in Valentino, but that he's not. I don't think he was a major character in that. No. The leading man. Oh, that was yeah, maybe that, but that's a fifteen. That looks, looks a bit looks like a it looks like a film you have to ask for. <laughs> <laughs> um, Destination? No, I don't know. I must have been my oh, Destination Anywhere. That's actually a is a Destination Anywhere is an American film inspired by and featuring music and concepts from John Bon Jovi's second solo album, Destination Anywhere. It sounds a bit rom-commy, doesn't it? That sounds fucking crap, to be honest. Demi Moore, I mean, yeah, it? it does. And Whoopi So Gold. it's probably not great then if if it's got those two luminaries no. in it. No. Um, and he was also in U57 about a submarine. Yeah. That he falls in love with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> U58 was a sequel. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> Number eight, Jump Around slash Top of the Morning to you by Cypress Hill. It's House of Pain, sorry, House of Pain. House of Pain, mate. God, I always get Come Cypress on, Hill and sacrilege. House of Pain mixed up. Um, yeah, this was probably one of the first um, first songs that probably got me into hip-hop, to be honest. So um, even now, um, absolute classic. Um, they, they, they re-released, um, well, not re-released as such, but... It was the um, 20-year anniversary of them as a group during the pandemic. So they... Okay. They re-recorded it with them. Um, oh, I don't know, guys I've never heard of, but it was actually quite good, to be fair. So. Yeah, it just reminds me of being in it, discos and you know this comes on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah um, discos. I am yeah. 100 years old. Discos. Well, no, I mean, um, one of the one of the earliest memories I've got of um, drinking actually was um, 
absolutely tanked up at a um, Butlins like team disco thing, and this coming on, and uh, yeah, completely going ass over tits off one of the podiums while it was on. So yeah, um, I'm sure everyone's got some kind of alcohol fueled story to this song. Yeah, yeah. Number seven is I don't want to fight by Tina Turner. Now I have no recollection of this song oh. at all. An open letter to Ike, probably. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I've got no. Uh, my my old man was a big Tina Turner fan. Okay. Um, I've got no recollection of this song at all. I don't mind a bit of Tina no. Turner, but no. And I didn't even go back and listen. So. No, well, I mean she's no. she's got a cracking voice, but this was around that time where she was releasing like the same song every three months or so. I think so. Yeah. When you yeah. when you'd heard one in '93, you'd heard them all, haven't you? Yeah. Number six, uh, That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson. Oh, that's a, okay. That's a good Bit song. Direction section. Yeah, it is a good song, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is a good song, yeah. 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 Um, I've always liked Janet, though, to be fair. like She was kind of allowed to have the more credible career, I think, maybe, because, you know, her brother was more in the limelight than her, so she had a bit more creative freedom, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and she what I mean, she kind of, what, late 80s, early 90s, when it was, she had uh, her kind of... Um, but yeah, she, I, you don't really hear that much about her anymore, do you? I remember she when her no. nipple fell out of the when was that at the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl, wasn't it? Um, early two thousands, back when Justin Timberlake was relevant enough to yeah. make people famous again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I don't mind a bit of Janet Jackson. Tribal Dance by Two Unlimited is it number five? Oh, okay. This is the I was I think there's a follow up to. No limit. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I've I've got the chorus in my head for some weird reason, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely. It sounded exactly like it, and had the yeah. same thing of like nothing but a chorus. So yeah, that sounds about right. I saw them at Butlins. Uh, I, I've completely forgot oh, about yeah. this, but we saw them. I mean, when I saw, I mean, it was. I'm not sure. I think it was a lady from Two Unlimited. Hmm. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be much good if it just been the bloke, would it? Well, no. No, no. really, no. Definitely not. I mean... Uh, he just stood there and played yeah. the record on his... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He just stood there and pointed at people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there used to be... Again, I can remember going to... Um, I'm not sure if this is still a thing, but back when I used to go to... Again, if get that bingo card out, Gary. Andy talks about Bristol nightlife in the, in the 90s. Um, I can remember going to see the... Carl Barat, the um the guy from the Libertines. Oh yeah, yeah. The not Pete Doherty guy. Yeah. He uh DJ'd in uh, in town. Um and I think he came on about midnight. Sounds and basically right. he came on like a drink in hand. I just stood next to the um guy who was DJing and was just kind of like waving at the crowd and would like whisper to the DJ. What song to put on? Then the DJ would put oh, the song on. And he, he got out, and it's like this is not really like this is it's not really a DJ set, is it really? But I also saw um, Martin Kemp. Um, <laughs> this was uh, <laughs> not wow, such such luminaries, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember I tweeted him on my. Uh, I think this might have been before the podcast started. I can't remember now. But I I tweeted him and told him I had one of the best nights of my life. I was quite drunk. And uh, he replied back, oh, thanks very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Andy. So I've got a reply from Martin Kemp. But this wow. was uh, on a Sunday night in Bristol. This is just just pre-COVID, just about just pre-COVID, like Christmas before COVID. And it was 28 quid, I think it was. 
to go to the Fleece, which is like a, a bar in Bristol, to see Martin Kemp uh, do a DJ set. It's one of those things which at the time it sounded like the worst idea ever. But I, I went after uh, I played five or five football and had a few drinks afterwards. So by the time I got there, I was three quarters of the way there, to be honest. Sure. And um, by the time it finished, I was like, this is the best gig I've ever been to. It's just amazing. <laughs> All it was basically was Martin Kemp playing 80s songs uh, and singing along to some of them and then just dancing on stage. Now, I mean... That sounds like the worst thing ever, possibly. But oh no, that sounds <laughs> awesome. I it was would, good. I would love that. It's like a an eighties version of Tim Westwood. That's that's yeah. his style of DJing, really. And the last song he played was obviously "Gold" by uh, Spandau Ballet. Oh, gotta be. I gotta, gotta be, be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's two high quality DJ nights uh, that I've been to. Yeah. Um, number four is the Five Live EP, which is George Michael Queen. Lisa Stansfield. I think this was to commemorate Freddie Mercury, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, was Elton John involved with that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was yeah. with... I, I seem to remember a lot of the videos, which were all live concert footage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was um, yeah that, that was a good EP, actually. Like, um, I've got mixed feelings on Queen post Freddie Mercury, but um, yeah. I, to begin with, it was all very respectful and incredible and you know i mean adam lambert's a good singer it's just no one can match freddie you know no. i've got again i've got i've not got it's a bit like madness i'm <laughs> like don't want to upset people but i don't really like queen to be honest you either I, like them or you don't i mean I, I i love their early stuff but yeah anything anything past 1986 it's it's not for me and and that makes me sound older than i should be and my <laughs> My cousin on my dad's side, um, she was the biggest Queen fan. So I mm. remember being like three or four years old, running around in her bedroom while she's listening to like the first three or four Queen albums. So yeah. that for me is is my Queen. And and again, when I got into like rock music and stuff, it was kind of the very intricate guitar based, like almost funk type stuff I was into. So like early Sabbath and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And 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 Queen were in that kind of bracket as well with their first three or four albums. They were, you know, like you, this. This was not the hint of a commercial band. So, yeah, that's yeah. that. That's my Queen really. Like anything after that, it's not really relevant. No. Well, my first memory of Queen is I want to break free. So, that's my excellent Queen. video. Yeah. Excellent video. And 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 you know, like Freddie Mercury is, is the perfect frontman anyway. Like regardless of what era of Queen you like. Um, he was the perfect frontman, so you can't fault him. No, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not a massive Queen fan, but yeah, as, as a showman, as a frontman, definitely, he's, yeah, mm. he's out there on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, number three is Sweat by Inner Circle. Oh, yeah, this was a massive summer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's in the head, you know. It is, yeah. Yeah, oh, that, that, no, that was a brilliant record. Um, yeah, it, it, it was that time of like every every reggae band where the result had something out just in time for the sun to come out, wasn't it? Mm. But it had two big hits. This is their this is one of their big hits. Never big hit was uh, the Bad theme Boys from Cops. And Cops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, number two, I can't help falling in love with you. Uh, UB40 again. I'm not. Uh, they seem to they seem to crop up every week on this show as well. UB40, but. Mm. 
this is yeah obviously it's a cover version of Elvis isn't it I mean yeah it was it was catchy enough but yeah um, it was just weird it's it's one of those weird video um videos and uh, weird videos that paints them as like a really gritty band and you the know this was on the theme track. it's from sliver isn't it from sliver yeah it's from sliver yeah. yeah so there's like the odd shot of like um sharon stone getting a good scene too and yeah i wanted the board wins. a bit well, the board yeah. is it when I hear? Yeah, yeah, one of them, you know, Frank, Bob, Mick, and Jim. Or we, 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 I'm just gonna Google Sliver the film. You do that. Who else was in it? Sliver. Was it called Sliver? Was it called Sliver? I want to say it was called Sliver. What was it called? Was it... There's there's the Sliver, which is a horror film from the early 2000s. Yeah, that's what so I that's, just got. That's up. nothing like it. But Sliver, as in S L I V E R. Sliver. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's the one. Now, I give um, Sliver, which no, is... The, uh, trust uh, me, um, Slither, coming soon to Disgusting Awful, is something completely different. <laughs> uh, yeah, so sl- Slither. Mm. 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that's a bit high. It is. It, <laughs> yeah, it, is. The, it, it is not a great film. Honestly, the, the, um, the song from UB40 is probably the highlight of the whole movie. Well, the actual, I'd like you to, if you Google the cover of the DVD, again, it looks like a film you need to ask for in the show. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's It, it was um, v- very much a, a film from somebody that had um, found fame for, you know, mm. letting her hair out. and. Uh, but Sharon Stone, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> cracking woman, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, she did all sorts of weird things after that, didn't she? Like, did did she do Total Recall after that as well? I think Total Recall was bef- that was before, wasn't it? Total yes, Recall, it was. It? Yes, it was Total Recall and then Basic Instinct, wasn't it? But, I think she got famous from Basic Instinct, and it was like, oh, actually, yeah, she was in. She was also in Total Recall. We didn't really realise yeah. that until she became famous in. Um, but she'd done some. Yeah, she was in some odd films, wasn't she? She was, and I mean, given given the the time that she was famous as well, I was wondering if a lot of casting directors were getting confused with Gillian Telforth. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Well, we all knew about Gillian Telforth. I mean, to be fair, I think as good a film as Casino is, it would have been enhanced if Gillian Telforth would have been in that rapid in there. Oh, totally. <laughs> rapid in Sharon Stone. With the odd cameo from Adam Woodyatt, you know, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, swap Joe Pesci for Adam Woodyatt. And again, if you, you know... You, you couldn't tell the difference. No, and again, EastEnders would have been enhanced if you'd have had Joe, Joe Pesci playing uh, Ian Beale. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just looking at Sharon Stone's other. So, yeah, that was 90 was Total Recall. She was oh, in the, the, the Specialist with uh, Sylvester Stallone in 1994. Casino in 95. Basic Instinct 2, have you seen that? Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> Oh, isn't Stan Collymore? That's when Stan Collymore gets murdered. Yeah, of course. It's got a lot of British. It's got David Morrissey and David Fulis. A lot of British cast. So the cast for that film is Sharon Stone, David Morrissey, David Fulis, Charlotte Rampling and Stan Collymore. (laughs) <laughs> Which is the Morrissey that's in Men Behaving Badly? Is that Neil Morrissey? Morrissey? Yeah, oh, right. the oh, same but, um, guy. David Morrissey's the Walking Dead, isn't he? Yeah, and yeah, right. um, that, that makes more sense. I'm, yeah. I'm just, just picturing um, Neil Morrissey getting made yeah. by Sharon Stone, but there Neil you go. Neil Morrissey and Stan Collymore <laughs> and Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct 2. Yeah. Again, would it, it probably would have made the film better, to be honest. Oh, totally, totally. Um, and then number one is All That She Wants by Ace of Base. 
Oh, you can't beat a bit of um, Swedish no. reggae, can you? No, I did you? Uh, did you watch your revision last week? I didn't. Um, what was I doing? Something better, probably. Something a bit more interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I get a bit too caught up in the the whole politics side of it. It's 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 very weird because we've had we had a legitimately good song this year. Yeah. But I can't shake the fact that we got where we got because we've given the most money to Ukraine from a fundraising point of view from the public. Okay, yeah. It's always totally political. And again, like taking nothing away from the Ukrainian entry, it was good. But, um, I mean, it's always a political thing anyway, isn't it? So... I don't think we give the Ukraine any any marks, any, no. any votes. We give them some money, but we didn't give them any votes, though. Exactly. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the stupid people, we'd have probably won it. But I don't know. I mean, it's no love shiner like back a treatment in the waves, is it? No, and I was, ta- I was actually telling my wife uh, about, uh, which wasn't, she wasn't interested, to be honest, but I was, I was telling her this story about um, I went to see the night in which we won Eurovision last me and a few of my mates went to see Donny Brasco at the cinema. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And when we got That's home, when we got home, um, it was Eurovision, and they were just phoning through the results, and uh, and we won. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't see why she wasn't interested in that story because that was a uh, that was that was one of my better stories. But yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I think it's a husband's privilege, um, you know, having a a story that your wife's not going to be the least bit interested in. No, I mean, I, 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 the most stuff I tell her, she, she's got no interest in, in most of it, really. Most of my, most of my, again, having listened to this podcast for the last 84 episodes, you may have realised that most of my references are from the mid-80s or, <laughs> or <early> <laughs> 90s. <laughs> and that's not even the wrestling ones, that's just the, the general references, so... Totally. Yeah, so... Maybe, right. our, um, maybe our wife should get together and... Um, record an episode about the ridiculous stories we've told them i'm, I'm sure it would be yeah oh, uh, very enjoyable i doubt they can remember my, my wife really remember any of the ones i've told us well maybe it's a, a kind of a love test if you like of you know if they love us enough to listen to the nonsense that we spout off yeah yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean it'd be more entertaining this bollocks probably but uh well who knows <laughs> <laughs> so right uh, well, how long are we in? About half an hour, so that's not too bad, is it? Yeah, well, um, we've done well. So, we've done well. We'll start talking about some wrestling. So, Slamboree 1993. Now, you're one of the guys I class side power in this sort of group. Um, Millwall Chris. Um, that are, this is their kind of, you know, this is their time period, that early WCW. I, I've kind of got to know this sort of time period of WCW in the last few years of doing this show. I wasn't really into any WCW um, at all until I started doing this show. I was aware of stuff through kind of, you know, just being interested in general, but I had not gone back and watched any of this stuff really instead of sort of doing the show. So obviously the, the current run of the show is I've been picking shows and then, um, um, I put, kind of laid out to you guys, and you could all pick a show to whichever you wanted to cover. Did you pick this one, or was this one of the like the? This is one of the the few left at the end. Um, a bit of both, really. Um, it was one of the ones that was left because I was at work, but yeah, yeah. this would have been my choice anyway. Um, so so for me in my WCW lexicon, 1993 is in my personal top three of yeah. years in WCW. I realize how incredibly geeky that sounds but but for me it goes um number three 1993 number two 1996 
number one, 1989. So um, while in a lot of ways this was a, a transitional period from the guff that went on during 1992, it's a transition in a great way. And, um, you know, um, Bischoff had just taken charge of the company and he was trying to do all of the right things to put the company back on the map again. So I was I was happy to look at some 1993 WCW. Yeah, so we're doing Slambury. This was the first ever Slambury. Mm. Um, yeah, so I mean, so we'll go to kind of where we were in, in 1993 WCW. So Vader was the the world heavyweight champ. So with the, he was like the WCW champion, wasn't he? With the yeah. The newer WCW belt and Barry Windham had the old, the big gold belt. That's right. But he was like the NWA world champion at this point, or they'd kind of, it's that time period where they had the two belts and they were. Yeah, it it wasn't that far away. I think there's a an upcoming Clash of the Champions after. So Flair wins one of the belts and Sting wins the other. And then mm. on one of the clashes, they do a unification. So it's not that far away from it being the end of the relationship with the NWA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hollywood Blondes are the are the tag champs. Absolutely, they are, and they should be. Yep, yep. And the previous pay per view was Super Bowl Three, which was the pay per view where Flair made his his return and Davy Boy made his debut. Yep. Um, and I'm just turning the page over now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like you said. Bischoff had not re- not long taken charge at this point, and they, but Dusty was still. I think Dusty was still doing the booking, but Bischoff was in charge. He was, but um, apparently this Slambury pay per view was completely Bischoff's idea because he was hoping that um, um, having the involvement and induction of some stars of yesteryear would draw back some of the older fans that WCW had lost. So you yeah. can't fault him for trying to you know get people back in and watching it because um, Bill Watts had made a heck of a mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we get the, the the sort of intro is you know talking about the like you said the the whole theme of the show is like a like a reunion sort of thing in it and the legends of wrestling kind of getting back together and uh, so the intro sort of shows people that are you know going to be there tonight and then we start with basically just a shot of all these old wrestlers in the ring. Yeah, they they looked a bit lost, really, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, they did look a bit lost. What I do enjoy about this, you can slag off WWE because I mean WWE '93 is pretty shonky, isn't it? It's pretty ropey. Oh, totally. But totally. the produ- the production values are a million miles apart, aren't they? Definitely, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So th- this is very much in acceptable in the '90s territory right now, and. And that's that's kind of what I'm noticing is that you've got two very distinctive products here. Like um, WCW is definitely playing to the like adult wrestling fan audience that doesn't care what they're looking at looks like. Whereas the WWF is totally plugged into you know let's grab the kids because they'll bring the mums and dads. You know yeah. So, yeah. But like the pr- production values are, are miles apart, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So if you didn't know, again, all you see is a, a ring full of slightly confused looking old men. <laughs> 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 and then we get uh, Tony Giovanni and Larry Zabisco on commentary, which was one of the first times I think Larry had been on, on commentary in WCW. Yeah, it was. He'd, he'd been doing an excellent job on the Saturday night programme, but this was his first um, WCW pay-per-view uh, because of um, 
called Jesse Ventura that was uh, dealing with a, a clotting issue, apparently. Yeah, apparently he had a DVT because of, um, he said it was brought on by wearing tight knee pads whilst fi- filming Demolition Man. Really? No, 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 no. Don, yeah, Dem- Demolition Man. I think he was in Demolition Man, wasn't he? He is, yeah. I mean, yeah. not 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 long enough to develop a DVT, but he's he's definitely no. in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely sure it's got nothing to do with the fact that he'd been a a massive money wasting <laughs> asshole on camera, and uh, Bischoff had decided to go in a different direction. But hey, yeah. uh, who knows? I mean, I'm not his publicist, so who knows? No, no. But yes, yeah, so he's in the hospital, so we got Larry instead. Uh, and then we start off with Max Payne, and Max Payne tends to do this a lot in this time period. Of like, I think a Superboy played the national anthem on his guitar. Yes, and he now does. He's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's. I was, nice I was tune. quite thankful for the fact that he looked um, a lot less like Robert Cure from eh, Robert Cure, Robert Smith <laughs> from The Cure, to be honest. Uh, That's what we call him, Robert Cure. Robert Cure. <laughs> I mean, that, that easily could have been his name because um, yeah. when. When when you look at him prior to Super Brawl, it's like um, goodness me, he just needs the lipstick and the general malaise about life, and uh, yeah. he could he could front his own uh, Manchester goth band. Yeah. Um, so it's a slightly strange sort of juxtaposition of Max Payne there playing his uh, metal in brackets on his guitar, and then the old guy is just sort of stood there in the ring, like looking slightly bemused by it all. Yeah, and he's he's kind of playing out fabulous smoother as well. Like, it's... well, that was it. I had no idea when that. I thought it was going to be like Medusa or Missy Hyatt and that come out of there. Yeah, exactly. Like someone that would appreciate his nonsense, to be fair. But yeah, yeah, for it to be a you know a famous um, female sex trafficker. I mean, you know. Yeah, but it, it, it's odd. I mean, because. Yeah, so, so Max Payne is playing, and then you get some oiled up guys um, bringing down like a little, like a, f- a sort of chariot kind of thing. And who jumps out of it? Well, the fabulous Moolah. Yeah, although um, jumps out would be quite a, <laughs> um over intricate way of putting it. Um, you know, and yeah, you she he, yeah. li- literally folds out of it, I think, if, <laughs> if, if, if nothing else. And in sort of six years' time, she'd be wrestling again in WWE, which exactly, is... Exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was strange, because I think there's a lot of, in this point, they were just getting people that had either fallen out of favour with WWF or who they could get that were like, kind of, you know, we get people later on that were just recently released from WWF or not under contract recently. So it was like literally kind of like, who can we get on TV? Oh, yeah. This available, and... I don't. I mean, I don't know when Moolah had been on any, because I don't remember her being featured on WWF TV at all. I honestly don't think she'd been seen since the early years of um, Saturday Night's main event, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I suppose she kind of always had that NWA affiliation, which kind of made sense for her to be there. But it did yeah. seem very odd. I mean, um, later on as well, you know, we get somebody who's. Um, well, two favourite sons are quite synonymous with the other company as well. So um, yeah. there were some very baffling guests on this show, to be fair. Mm. But uh, yes, yeah, so she gets up and just says hello to people, and and then they, she's never seen again. She, that's it. She, that's yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> the the queen of Slamboree just kind of does what our queen does now. Like she she makes herself known and then she buggers off. Doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. 
And then we get um, Eric Bischoff and Missy Hyatt. Now, I've, I've often I've made some probably unflattering comments about Missy Hyatt on this show before. I mean, I, I'm sure she's a, a you know great woman, but I said that. Wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I would say she reminded me of the, the female gremlin from uh, Gremlins, but. Um, but the, I, these days, definitely. Yeah, oh, these definitely. days, yeah. But I thought yeah, she, I mean, I mean, she was she was very much in her prime at, at this point. But oh yeah, I, in this this I think she looked quite nice to this show. Again, we don't want to, we're two blokes in our well, I'm in my early forties. You are probably late forties, Chris. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm at least two years young, younger than you. And <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm having that. I I might have gone bald a lot quicker than you did, but I'm still younger than you. Mate, I could, my beard is a lot whiter than yours. You haven't got exactly. any white. You haven't got any white in there, have you? Um, I've, died. I've, I've no, I've got a few little bits, but um, to, to quote to quote Alan Partridge, I keep it trimmed with nasalses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're two men, you know, who are in no position to be criticising anyone else's uh, anyone else's appearance. But totally. um, yeah, but I, I thought she was really good in this show, actually, Missy Hyatt, and she had a pretty tough Absolutely. job with all these fucking lechy old bastards who she had to uh, put up with oh i know but she was a trooper wasn't she and um, she was like her and bischoff they were always a really good combination as well yeah um and obviously they're talking for a couple of minutes and the lights the lights just go out (laughs) talking with the lights out exactly and they 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 vamp it to high heaven don't they but uh but Yeah. yeah so we get about 30 seconds of them still talking in complete darkness and then they go to like a wide shot of the crowd and uh yeah so um and there's the first talk about you know apparently a, a late change that scott norton was supposed to be appearing on the show but he had some issues you ran into the prisoner we don't know the prisoner is yeah, yet but that's it he he had some issues losing to sting i believe yeah and money i think as well yeah mm. and nails as well but we get to that later on yeah, yeah let's um do yeah. So first match, um, Bobby Eaton and Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit appears to be wearing uh, Zodiac's uh, tights in this match. Oh no, no. Um, I would, I would totally wear a pair of those pants around the house to do my housework. I really would. Okay. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. I've got um, I got a bit of a thing for tartan. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I normally like I've got uh. I'm looking at I've, my, I've, I mean don't, I don't own any leggings or any spandex, but I've actually I've got a, like a running tights which are pretty skin tight, um, don't leave much to the imagination. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in if I'm in the house, I've generally got some tartan tartan uh, jogging bottoms or uh, that kind of thing. So lovely, <laughs> lovely. Yeah. Another a, insight into Bang Bang Andy's home life, ladies and gentlemen. A, a mental image for you. All. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, so yeah so Benoit and uh, Bobby Eaton and so Bobby had been back I think he he had had like a year I think he might have formed that with Watts as well so he'd been yeah. away for a year yeah. in Smoky Mountain in, in, in Japan and That's then right. came back when Bischoff came in I think yeah um, I I believe because um, there was the whole um, Smoky Mountain wrestling WCW relationship broke down pretty much before it started and Jim Cornette had set Eaton up with a job in the WWF um, not not as anything massive but like Cornette would have managed him 
Um, but he had decided that, you know, he wanted to stay with um, the devil that he knew, which was completely Bobby Eaton, like, the whole way. He was, like, one of wrestling's nicest, nicest guys. Um, so, yeah, he ended up coming back. And, you know, I mean, there's there's no harm in it. You know, like, um, they, were, they, 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 they obviously saw something in Chris Benoit. He was getting promoted um, quite readily on Saturday night, and rightly so. He was an excellent wrestler. So it makes sense that you'd have these guys in the tag team because they complement each other really well, I think. Yeah, so I think his, his first big match, Benoit, in this sort of run was at the at Super Bowl where he wrestled um, Scorpio. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think he wasn't around for long after this. He was back off to Japan fairly, you know, a, a few months after this. And obviously he returned then in 90, 94, 95 when he, when he was... Um, yeah, it was, I think it was the second or third episode of Nitro that he comes mm. back. So, so yeah, um, it, it seemed a bit baffling because they'd, they'd booked him brilliantly on Saturday night. But then at the same time, he was a massive star in Japan and, you know, um, New Japan pretty much paid his wages. So I, I suppose you're going to go with it, really. Yeah, yeah. And they're taking on Two Cold Scorpio and Buff Bagwell. Or Marcus Alexander Bagwell at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, the rookie of the year for <laughs> yeah. the longest rookie year in his career um, <laughs> against a guy that, um, for me, I mean, Scorp is just the man. He really yeah. is. Yeah, he was amazing, um, wasn't he? He is. And you you haven't truly lived until you've, you've gone for a pint round Morecambe with Two Cold Scorpio. That was... Uh, that that was a night out I'll never forget. He still he still wrestles now, doesn't he? He's still Yeah, he does. So um yeah, so so back in back in two thousand and six he was um over in Morecambe for the FWA because um he was nowhere tag team champs with Doug Williams and they had brought over uh Takeshi Morishima and Mohamed Yone to have a, a a main event match. So I would go over for the Morecambe shows at the FWA quite a lot. And I was just having a, a pint afterwards across the road and um, he just turned up on his own and we had a ridiculous night out. It was the most random thing. He just, yeah. He just, he, he was at every place that I was at. So we just tagged along. Yeah. Oh, mate. I'd never, I don't think I've ever met a wrestler in real life. I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered, but I haven't, I haven't met a wrestler in real life. No. Um... Was he uh was he was he smoking at night as well? Because he enjoys the uh... um well I mean full full disclosure this was this was before my uh my my pure ways um we all were to be frank <laughs> he was he was he was one of those guys that like no one really wanted to say no to him so we yeah we all just went along with it really oh mate um you've never been out of Buff Bagwell for a drink have you um no but I can't imagine it would be quite the enjoyable experience I'm a I'm I'm a massive fan of, of, of Marcus Bagwell, but uh, when things like that get involved, I think it's best to stay away, to be frank. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, if 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 Too Cold Scorpio and Marcus Alexander Bugwell, Bugwell? Bagwell were on the... Uh, we're displaying the dance moves they displayed in this match, before the match, then, uh, you know, the nightclub would have been uh, would have been pumping. Because oh, they totally. A couple of... A bit of a kind of... Uh, a bit of jiggling around for the match, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing like a bit of passive aggressive shucking and jiving to make you see it with a real tag team. Uh, but so I mean, leading on from this, I think Scorpio had a match with um, 
Barry Windham not long after this for the world title, one of the Clash of the Champions. Yeah, so that's he was right. uh, he got a reasonable push, but I mean, when did he? I mean, he moved across and did he get? Did he go straight from? Um, WCW think, to WWF, or did he go I back to? I think it might have been 1995. Hmm. I think so. I definitely remember seeing him on some in your house shows, which would have been 95. But um, yeah. I didn't see him on any Raws before that. So no, and they go on and win the tag belts later on in the year. Yeah, but obviously Buff was only 23, being the rookie hmm. of the rookie of the year at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a good match. The end. I, I, it is. Yeah. My bugbear with every WCW show I've ever seen, I think, in history is the count. I've seen, I could probably count on the fingers of one hand how many good finishes I've <laughs> I've seen in these shows. Oh, I know. And I mean, this, this show is definitely no exception. But um, I mean, even this one, it, it's probably the best finish, but it's still a, a bit sloppy. Well, it? so... <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's, a, it's probably well as good a match. I know. To be fair, there's some good matches on this show. This is mm. this is this is up there though. But Scorpio mm-hmm. does like some sort of top rope move, doesn't he? And it doesn't quite. They don't get. I think Eaton pulls the ref away, and they don't get the the pin. Yeah, that's right. And then he does another one, and he literally lands on Benoit's face. Oh yeah, that um the tumbleweed, the fog. Yeah. 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 And then he gets, I think, Eaton's still trying to pull the ref away. And the ref's still, but you can't hear the ref counting, basically. And then the bell just rings and like, that's, yeah. That's yeah, it. It, was, it was very confusing. It's like, you know, if you can do it then, you could have done it like 20 <laughs> seconds ago, you know. Yeah, yeah. So a, a ropey, a ropey finish. Um, but yeah, but that, that is, seems to be the kind of, yeah, that's the, the WCW thing in it. There's a lot of. And as as the show goes on, there's more of that theme to be fair. Oh, totally, totally. So, but um, but the action in the match itself is incredible, and it? Mm. it 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 makes up for the duff finish because I mean, really, for the American audiences, this would have been like way ahead of its time, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you've got three all-time greats, I'd say. Absolutely, probably. definitely, yeah. Um, and and Chris Benoit. So, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and and Marcus Allen and Bagwell. Yeah. No, honestly, I would argue for um, you know, um, I'm a I'm a massive fan of um, Buff Bagwell as is um my homeboy the meat guy. So uh, so yeah, we won't hear a word against him. His his podcast is unlistenable. Um, is it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I thought um the audio for one man's meat can be bad sometimes, but uh. Until you've listened to Buff Bagwell's podcast, honestly, you can't. Um, his his host is fine. Yeah. But if he didn't have to ask Buff Bagwell any questions, it would be okay. But once you get to him, oh, honestly, he needs a decent mic. He really does. To see, it is a bit of a thing. I mean, uh, I mean, we've had episodes in the past where the, the quality has not been well. Famously, the Millwall Chris episode. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like a, oh a, yeah. A choir of Millwall Chris's answering each question. <laughs> well, he's 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 booked up his ideas since, and oh yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's he's winning me over with his love of early WCW. So, uh, well, he's someone, coming back. Someone soon. should definitely give him a show of his own, honestly. Oh, the Millwall Chris show, I think. Is another. No, honestly, um, it it would be good if you know somebody with their own podcast that's interested in doing 
um, guest spots um, could maybe involve him on a on a regular basis talking about <laughs> early WCW. But I mean, I don't want to get inside my own head here. But um, well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, look out for the Millwall Chris uh, show on the on the Bang Bang Network in the next <laughs> next year, <laughs> which is just Millwall Chris. Or maybe or maybe the two Chrises on the uh, One Man's Meat Network. I mean, mm. who knows? Chris is coming on in oh, about a month's time to talk about Clash of the Champions 23. Oh, mate, you're going to enjoy that. That's an absolute so, banger of a show. Is it? Okay, right. It so really look forward is. to that. Yeah, it really is. I'm I'm not just saying that to set you up either. I mean, okay. I'm sure there's some unintentional comedy there somewhere, but uh, right. no, it's, it's, it's a good one. It really is. Well, I suggested it, so hopefully it was good. Um, well, <laughs> this is um, a method into how Andy chooses his shows. He he doesn't watch them first, ladies and gentlemen. No, the main reason I picked this show is because Nels was on it. <laughs> and that was the worst thing. Obviously, I mean, what it was always going to be the worst thing, you, wasn't it? Jesus. You just wanted to see me angry, didn't you? That, yeah. that so um, next we get Colonel Robert Parker. Yeah, and, and he's in uh, his... Um, Kind of WCW um, debut, at least from mm. a pay-per-view point of view, anyway. Well, yeah, I think he turned up earlier, early sort of uh, in this night in 1993 in WCW. Um, but he'd been in, I think he'd been in, well, he'd been doing the, you know, the the territories for years, hasn't he? And he was in Smoky mm. Mountain as a similar character, or like the same character, basically. But when he turned up in WCW, he was looking, uh, I think he was quite interested in, Signing Van Hammer, as you would be, wouldn't you? I mean, come on. Oh, I mean, totally. I mean, the guy had money written all over him. How can you have surely Max Payne's gimmick is Van Hammer's gimmick as well, isn't it? Yeah, like he he totally can play his own instruments, unlike Van Mm. Hammer. Um, He was a good wrestler before he got into wrestling, unlike Van Hammer. Um, He's got no intention of running someone over with his car while drunk, unlike Van Hammer. Okay. Um, he, He ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Well, Parker's come out and he's, you know, he's he's upset with Van Hammer and he's Van Hammer shouldn't have turned down his advances. So to be fair, it sounds like Robert Parker had a bit of a crush on Van Hammer, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that would be a yeah. Like he was the um, Sherry before Sherry. Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and he's obviously Parker's got someone else in, and I think it's slight, yeah. a slight upgrade on Van Hammer, to be honest. Oh, most definitely. I mean, yeah. If this was a, a Japanese RPG, then um, Van Van Hammer is a, a level seven, while uh, the man that we're about to introduce is at least a level seventy. Yeah, well, I mean, I was again. I've not seen many Van Hammer matches, but in my head, he was always like he's quite a big guy. Oh, uh, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. Trust me. Yeah, but I mean, Robert Parker's mystery man turns out to be Sid. Mm. Um. And in a way, looking at this pay-per-view, because well, we well, we talk about Sid every fucking week as well on the show, but he'd been after WrestleMania eight uh, when he got fired not long after that, or he'd left. I think he he failed the drug satani before the main event of WrestleMania, and then kind of hung on and then left afterwards. He'd not been on TV or doing. I imagine been playing softball and you know sitting at home and enjoying himself yeah totally um and then he, he comes back now to WCW. yeah 
And it, and it was it was quite a baffling entrance as well because like you've got a blatant baby face in Van Hammer that the fans get behind, and then yeah. suddenly out comes Sid and he milks the cheers, doesn't he? Like it was Come really on, odd. I mean, oh, I mean, yeah. Like given the two, I would I would love Sid Vicious more as well. But you know, this is a heel manager with a a new charge. But it is again. It's it's the old thing. If you if you go away. If, if you're like a, a, a slightly big or a popular wrestler, if you go away, generally, you, you unless you do something pretty despicable, when you come back, you're going to be a face. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. You know, especially if you're someone like Sid, who's a major star. But yeah. I just think that this was a waste of Sid, really. It was. Yeah, it, yeah. It really was. Um, I mean, it, it looked good for the TV, like for it to be like a, a 30-second squash, like it was. But yeah. Yeah, it it didn't feel quite right, did it? No, no, it seemed to be a bit of a, a bit of a waste. So yeah, he kills Van Hammer. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of talk about Robert Parker's going about uh, getting a gurney. That's right, get the gurney, get a gurney, which is like uh, another word for a stretcher. Yeah, uh, and Van Hammer sort of smashes a stretcher up before the match starts. But yeah, Sid comes down and just kills Van Hammer, uh, and then he, I, I mean. The, the next pay-per-view was what, Beach Blast, where it was Sting and Davey against Sid and uh, Vader. And they, oh, they had big plans for Sid, didn't they? And he was going to potentially yeah. win the world title at Starcade until he decided to stab Arn Anderson. Yeah, well, I mean, you would, wouldn't you? you know, <laughs> I mean, if the chance arose. I mean, I, I've got no issue with Arn Anderson, but, you know. No, I mean, I mean, I don't either. I mean, I, I know I've been quite controversial about... Um, about certain people on one man's meet, but um, Arn Anderson certainly wouldn't be one of them. But uh, yeah, but no, um, it was it was quite a baffling return for Sid. Really, I mean, I I don't know if they decided to go the babyface route because of the reception that he got here. But um, like you say, we're we're talking about a guy that had obvious superstar written all over him against a guy that I mean, he was an arm wrestling champion in WCW, like. <laughs> And a kayfabe arm wrestling champion at that. Um, and, you know, heavy metal Van Hammer. Where's your bloody guitar that you pretended to play? Like, the yeah. fans see through you. you. You're a fraud. Let's let a, a jacked-up Kevin Keegan powerbomb you. You know, let's let's <laughs> leave it at that. But again, how do you have Van Hammer and then you have Max Payne as well? Exactly. And that, and I, I think that's where the bloom, like, left the rose, to be honest, because... Like, we saw that Max Payne could blatantly play his own instrument. I mean, probably from all of his years in The Cure. Um, yeah, Robert Cure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Robert Cure. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, that's that's the thing. We had a guy that could do Van Hammer better than Van Hammer himself and could also wrestle. So, yeah. um, I mean, weirdly, this guy ends up still being employed by WCW um, and he doesn't actually come back until... Um, Raven's flock, actually. Oh, God, yeah. So literally, he was sat at home on a pretty decent-sized contract because Bischoff started um, like updating people's contracts for weird reasons um, yeah. and left this guy off TV. If uh, if Dan Heisen was describing Robert Smith, I think he called him Robert Cure. That's the, he would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Robert, Robert Cure, Cure very good, very yeah, definitely. <laughs> Dan Heisen. So. I mean, so yeah. I mean, I think this, this um, 
Sid sort of face was only I think for like this one. It was only because he came back and he was beating up Van Hammer. I think mm. yeah, he was he was feuding with Sting and Davy Boy, and then oh yeah, like they they totally tried to go with it by putting him with Vader. But um, if anything, I think that makes it worse because given like the WCW's target audience, like a lot of the people in the crowd liked Vader anyway because yeah, he was a yeah. legitimate guy, and so I mean I. I honestly don't know what you could have done to keep Sid as a heel, but it it wasn't that. No, it, it didn't last very long because again, by I think a few months down the line, he he split up with Robert Parker, and then they were yeah trying to pivot towards Vader and Sid at Starcade, which obviously never happened in the end. Yeah, but exactly. uh, yeah. So now we get old people with Eric Bischoff. So Red Bastine, Red Bastian, or Bastine, Bastine. Bastine and Bugsy McGraw. Yeah. So we talked about Bugsy McGraw before in the show. He was at the first Starcade, Bugsy McGraw. Yeah, and apart from the the fact that his beard and hair are like completely grey now, he does not look any different. He looks like he could step between the ropes in our next match, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's a registered nurse as well. He became a registered nurse, Bugsy McGraw. Get away, really? Yeah, he did, yeah. And apparently oh, wow. he looked after uh, when Jack Briscoe was ill in his last few days. He was... Uh, Looking after uh, Jack Briscoe. So. Oh, wow. Oh, good on him. And Red Bastine. Red Bastine? Red Bastion. Red Bastine. Red Bastine. He trained I, I think Sting he's in the Ultimate Canadian, Warrior. So it makes more sense. Really? Mm. And he had and lovely that's hair. The best he got out of him. Yeah, he had lovely hair and a, a big twirly uh, moustache, didn't he? He did, yeah. Uh, that is my November moustache right there. <laughs> Definitely. And apparently he was Roddy Piper's best man. Oh, all right then. So, he says hello to his family as well, which I always find find quite amusing. Uh, He's dead, Red Bastion. Yeah, it's quite a running theme for this show, isn't it? Like uh, I've gone through everybody and this is what they died of. But like, but like one of what I meant, like the fact that one of the the two in the segments always say hello to their family. But but yeah, um, also the fact that a lot of them are quite safely dead as we, I mean, uh, as we go to press. To be fair, he died, he was 81 when he died. He died of a heart attack. So Well, he beat no, the actually, national average for life expectancy then. Yeah, that was Alzheimer's. So. Alzheimer's. Uh, yeah. All, um, all the best people get it, apparently. Bugsy McGraw is 76 and he's still alive. Well, good, good, old Bugsy. good old Good old Bugsy. Bugsy. He probably uh, still looks the same as well. Like he yeah, probably, yeah. At any moment. Right, now we get into the the... Kenny Loggins uh, <laughs> into the danger zone now. No, they don't know it. And that's a good job because Dick Murdoch was in the Ku Klux Klan, wasn't he? Apparently. Oh, he certainly was. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that that would have made it quite dangerous to be in a team with these other two lads where he could have easily made a distinction and got quite wrong. So we've got, so in this match, we've got a possible clan member, yep. uh, a murderer, Allegedly, alleged, uh, an alleged yeah, murderer. Yeah, definitely. No, uh, an actual murderer. But carry on. <laughs> okay. Uh, we've got um, somebody went to prison for uh, counterfeiting money. Yep. Um, as far as I know, Wahoo, Wahoo McDaniel is innocent. <laughs> um, at, at least until proven guilty. Yeah. He was good friends with Evil Knievel. Was he? <laughs> he was. Yeah. Well, good for him. Um, and Jim Brunzel, mm. uh, who dumb, may or may Marco. not have been bummed by the Iron Sheik. 
I've not written that down. Um, yeah. So again, just random people picked out of a hat, I think, to be in this match. Definitely. But um, the one thing they all have in common is that they have enough about them to be able to still go in a match like this, apart from, um, you know, um, taking nothing away from the other participants in the Legends matches. But this match is probably the better of the ones that we get. Mm. So we get, um, obviously, Blackjack Mulligan. He's the the money counterfeiter who yep. is um, Barry Windham's dad. That's right, yeah. Mike Rotunda's father-in-law. Yeah. And the granddad of... Um, Bray Wyatt and Bo Dallas. Yeah, so quite the legacy there, really. And and dead as well. He died in 2016 of a heart attack. Yeah, very, very famously dead. Mm-hmm. Wahoo McDaniel, he died of kidney failure in 2002. Brought, on by, brought on by excessive hair dyes. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You can tell just by looking at him that is that is a damage to his kidneys, is that? Obviously, that Dick Murdoch died of a heart attack, which by looking at him in this match is not... Uh, not unsurprising. I bet his blood no, pressure was about 260 over 180 in this match. Definitely, but he he would go on to make an appearance at a Royal Rumble. Well, we're going through the ages in a minute. Don Marco's still alive. Jim Brunzel is still alive. So, is he? I think he is. I think he's still alive. He most there. definitely is. I think he's some kind of, um, like he's in some kind of local government or something like that. Is he? Yeah. What, in this country or in, uh, in America? In in America, obviously. <laughs> so Snooker um, only recently left WWF and it was in ECW, like wrestling actively at this time. Yeah, he was. Yeah, like, um, yeah, definitely. This was a one time appearance for him. And Morocco was in ECW as well at this time. Yeah, um, he might have been. Now, let me see. Sorry, I've, I've got my head going because I'm, I'm currently watching this period of ECW. Um, okay. Because I'm sad like that. He he might be the current heavyweight champion, actually. Mm. Okay, so the ages of the people in the match. So, Don Morocco is the same age as me in this match. He's 43. Um, Get away. Yeah. Dick Murdoch he was looks 40. a lot older than you, mate. I, <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Dick Murdoch was 46 in this wow. match. okay. Snooker was 50. Okay. Uh, Wahoo McDaniel was uh, 54. Blackjack yeah, Mulligan was... 50 and Jim Brunzel was 42 and he only just left WWF. Jim Brunzel was 42. Mm, yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> he just left WWF. You think he's, he's, he's wrestled in WWF earlier on this year? I know, but. Not 2022. 42. In, in. 42. 1993. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Fair enough. He obviously had a heavy paper round, but there you go. I mean, this match is... It, they, they do a few little spots. I mean, Dick Murdoch does a good move. I mean, he's probably my favourite. If I had to pick a favourite uh, wrestling member of the Ku Klux Klan, I'd say Dick Murdoch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then Braun Strowman, my second one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, is, he is blatantly some kind Allegedly. of neo-Nazi, isn't he? You can, mm-hmm. you can tell by... I mean, that, that, that beard is, is that long because it's hiding a giant SS tattoo on his cheeks. Possibly. Yeah, He's coming great. over to to Nottingham and he for the, uh, the big show with the last week we spoke about the authors of pain and since we mentioned them last week they've magically made a comeback and now they're putting on the paper views yeah. from Nottingham in this country. Yeah, now they're facilitating every nubbed from controlling narrative according to the, yeah. the card on that. Yeah, I think I'll stick to the summer season at Bridlington Spa. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Daniel very much. Well, I mean both Ruth and Daniel, but Daniel very much wants to um, watch some of the summer wrestling at Bridlington's Bar. So I'm going to be taking him to that. He can he can go and meet Sticks and be a, a happy little boy. Well, there was some actually again. I, I spoke about Patch from Free Peace on the podcast twice. He went to a show in Hannum uh, in Bristol a couple of weeks ago. He said he enjoyed it. That was like mm-hmm. a, a local card and, and uh, Pro Wrestling Chaos uh, uh, back in Bristol putting on. Big shows. Oh, nice one. Yeah, um, Morgan Webster runs that, mm. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. There's some people on the show I'm sure you would have heard of. I've not heard of any of them because I don't really know anything about wrestling, but um, but they're going quite well. Some good shows in Bristol. Oh, and... nice one. Well, I, I keep meaning to come up and see you, so uh, maybe we'll oh, it's gonna happen. add in someday. It's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, another... I mean, what's the finish of this match? The ref just gets fed up, doesn't he? Just, well, it's a, a double DQ, I believe, like massive brawl and yeah, yeah. the ref gets fed up and um, I'll be honest, it wasn't as bad as I expected. That was all right. Yeah. And I think um, Slicker, Slicker sees a, a police officer in the crowd at the end and then there's a <laughs> ridiculous yeah. bump for no reason over the top rope. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, these these were the, they, I mean, they definitely were the six guys that could have this kind of match um, and yeah they, they just do it for the fun um, I mean massive shout out to Jim Brunzel's psychedelic underpants I totally wear some of those he was I remember like he was when I first started watching WWF he, he'd be like a kind of this is post the killer bees when it was just Jim Brunzel oh, yeah. and he'd be like the good jobber so he'd wrestle yeah, he would be. a good match and mm. He'd be like, well, he might win because he's, you know, former tag team champion, jumping Jim Brunzel. But he'd always lose. Yeah. But he'd always oh, have a good match. Yeah. And with a name like that, he didn't do an awful lot of jumping, did he? He didn't, no. 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 Three, but and I also, was, um, I, was, I was quite wrong. It was um, it was Brian Blair that the Iron Sheik threatened to um, sort of okay. But, right, but okay. never mind. Well, that, that, what, what does the B stand Maybe that's what the B stands for in B, Brian Blair. <laughs> Bum, bum, Brian Bum-y Blair. Brian Blair. <laughs> it's 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 both um sub subjective and descriptive. Yeah, so, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh dear. Right. So now we get Missy with um the assassin and my dog. The assassin who again we saw on Starcade '83 as part of the yeah. assassins with. Uh, who was, I can't remember who the other assassin was back then, but and Mad Dog Vachon. Yeah, Mr. He's one like voice. He's got a good voice, Mad Dog Vachon. Oh, he does. Um, did you know actually that um, he released a rap album? Did he? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, honestly, back in the early eighties, it's completely in French. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, like very much back when um, old school rap was kind of very disco orientated. Um, but yeah, if you ever feel like tracking that down on YouTube, it's all on there in full. I've spent the week listening to Ian McShane's album from uh, 1991, I think. It's not good. Oh, wow. I, I, didn't even know that. I didn't even know that was a thing. To no, did I until this week. It's like a, an album of um, kind of covers of... He says Avalon by Roxy Music and Every Every Breath You Take by uh, The Police... Um, I mean, it's I, I like Ian McShane. It's, it's probably oh, one of the yeah, worst I mean, things. Same. I, yeah, 
it's, yeah, he's, a, he's an excellent actor, but like having watched no. things like Yesterday's Hero, I would have never have him down as a no as a chanteuse. Oh yeah, no, okay, fair I, enough. Quite rightly so, because it's it's one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. But mm. um, but so, yeah, so Mad Dog was Sean, I said lost his leg. It was quite a yeah. sad story. I had lost his leg when he was running and got ran over by a uh, somebody with learning disabilities. I think mowed him down. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then I can remember him getting. I remember it was one of the in your house events when uh, Kevin Nash, when he was Diesel, took his leg off and <laughs> gave it to Shawn Michaels to use as a weapon. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Always nice to uh, lighten the mood. Hmm. You know, definitely keep the old boys involved. You know, take definitely. your leg off and beat someone with it. Um, Absolutely. The assassin, I like to like when Missy Missy Hyatt was talking. She said, "All right, uh, Mr. Assassin, what do you?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mr. Assassin. <laughs> and I think the assassin needs a bigger mask because his face was you could very see very clearly visible. Yeah, very clearly visible. And he wants to fight Dusty Rhodes for some reason. Well, I mean, you would, wouldn't you? I don't really get the gimmick because when did he? I think we're not far off of when he came back and started managing Paul Orndorff. Have we had that already? That might be to come still. We might have already had that. I think it is to come, actually. Um, yeah. I know, like, Orndorff is in his TV title reign at the moment, isn't he? So, yeah. So, no, it might have already happened, actually. But I didn't really get the, the gimmick of the assassin because he's a no big fat bloke in a mask with a completely normal voice. Yeah, like, nothing screams manager. There, no, does it, or, really? or assassin in any way. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, yeah. If he's yeah, called the bank manager, I could uh, <laughs> see that. No, sorry, sorry, no, no. The mystery bank manager. The mystery then bank manager. The mask yeah. would then make sense, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but he was what he was a big trainer in, well, literally a big trainer, but he was uh, a trainer in the power plant, wasn't he? To come. Oh, Jody Hamilton. Yeah, it, was, it was Jody Hamilton, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Nick Patrick's so, guy. Yeah. He died last oh, year. Was. He was 81. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah. Now again, the one my one what's it? One of my bugbears with the show is they've got all these legends matches like one after the other, mm-hmm. and it gets a bit. So we now we get Ivan Koloff and Barrow Van Raschke. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, Ivan Koloff was sixty at this point, and yeah. Barrow Van Raschke was sixty. Barrow Van Raschke had been resurrected from the dead. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well, he was on he was on AEW this year, wasn't he? Very well Really? <laughs> yeah, this year. Yeah, this year, yeah. Yeah. He give um I can't believe I wasted my fuck off like beforehand. Yikes. He okay. uh he put the claw on someone in the crowd in AEW. Oh, alright then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can't remember what match it was, yeah. If he's still alive. Um but yeah, so Ivan Koloff I think he was still going at this point. He was in ECW at this point. He was in ECW at this point with um, uh, some some kayfabe nephew of his anyway. Yeah. But yeah, they were in there for about four weeks or so. Yeah. And Baron Von Rusty had last been seen on TV. I think he managed the powers of pain for like two weeks in WWF. Yes, that's right. And then he went back for the um, the team challenge in the AWA in 1989. Mm. So yeah, so this is probably the first time in a few years he'd been seen. And they're going to wrestle Thunderball Patterson, who was... Um, yeah, rubbish, yeah. <laughs> I quite like Thunderball Patterson, actually. Well, good for you. He's charismatic. 
Yeah, he's he's charismatic, but at the same time, he makes um, the junkyard dog look like Brian Danielson, and that that oh, yeah. can't be a good thing. But apparently, he was a big. Um, he spoke out about poor working conditions and racial discrimination. He's quite like a. I think he was blacklisted by the NWA at certain points for being a yeah. bit too vocal about that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, so that's that. right, that's right. I mean, like from a from a kind of um, social point yeah. of view, um, I can't fault him at all. Like it's guys yeah. like guys like him that kind of helped to like move forward a lot of things in um, not just in wrestling but in society as a whole. Yeah. But um, honestly, he just he just comes across as a well, he comes across as a paedophile without a victim in this match. <laughs> it's that whole general, like, the thing he's doing with his hands and all that kind of thing. Like That's cool charisma. Yeah, it's it's, it's not, though, is it? Like, if, if, <laughs> if, if Jimmy Savile was doing that, yeah. you know, we'd all stare blindly at it until the Netflix documentary comes out. <laughs> yeah. you know. uh, he's now an ordained minister as well. Really? He is, yeah, so... So technically he's on my side, but even so, I think I yeah. should be worried. And you called him a paedophile. So <laughs> well, I mean, you're talking about an ordained minister here. He wouldn't be the first. He wouldn't be the first and he won't be the last. No, no. Um, so he, he's supposed to be teaming with Bullet Bob Armstrong, but he's injured, apparently. But they yeah. say, the heels say that he's chickened out because, you know. So we get, we get Brad Armstrong. Yeah, someone to push this match past half a star. Good on him. Yeah, um, he's got lovely. He looks very much like Kenny Omega hair in this uh, this match. Oh, totally. Like if if anyone has based their career off Brad Armstrong's look, it's definitely Kenny Omega, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, that's about the comparisons all the time. People are saying totally. ripping them off. Yeah. Although you can make the argument that Brad Armstrong is the better wrestler, but there you go. Well, he's dead. Brad Armstrong. Yeah. He died at the age of 50 in 2012, so... He most certainly did. Um, we get a claw, the claw from the Baron on, on Brad Armstrong. Yep. And the Thunderbolt gets the pin, obviously, because, you know, this is basically... He's, uh, he's too big for anybody to kick out of. <laughs> yeah. This is basically a house show, isn't it, really, at this point? Most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> yeah. But now things are going to go up in the world, because we get a flare for the gold. We do. <laughs> I think we... I think we may have mixed opinions on this, mate, but... Okay, on. okay. Well, so the reason that Flair is, is not wrestling and doing these kind of interview segments, he, so he had like a, a no complete cause when he left WWF at the start of the year. So he yeah, was doing these... Right. Uh, to be fair, they're quite infamous, a lot of these segments, aren't they? These The Flair for yeah. the Gold segments. But they are really cool, to be fair, because it, it, it helps to... Um, so one of the big things I'm looking at on Acceptable in the 90s right now is the slow build of the, the blondes into becoming something. Yeah. And a lot of that build comes from these Flair for the Gold segments. So I was I was very keen on them anyway. And, and to, to be honest, I was I was pleasantly surprised to have one on this show because I, I really like them, to be frank. Hmm. I One of my biggest bugbears about wrestling in... I, if I never have to watch an, another interview segment, I, it'll be it'll be too soon. I literally is that that concept is so dead in the fucking water. I think. Yeah, but like thing is like these days it's been massively like overplayed, hasn't it? Yeah. Whereas like looking at this, um, I mean they weren't super regular. Like 
when you think about it, both main companies had more shows on TV than they probably have right now. I mean, okay, there were shorter shows, but you look at WCW, um, they probably had about five shows a week when you think about it, but four of them were blatantly in-ring action, and then your Saturday night was your kind of... I mean, they had some longer matches with established stars, but it was still entertainment-based, so more more promo-orientated. And the same thing with the WWF, really. Like, they still had superstars, they still had all-American wrestling, but, like, Raw was their big entertainment show. So, like, looking at it from this period, it was quite rare to have this on a pay-per-view, but looking at it where we are now, it's just another segment, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. So this has been Flair been talking up how he's going to reunite the Horsemen mm. on this on this segment. So uh, yeah, and then he introduces Fifi the maid as well, who was his wife up until recently, and they yep. split up. Um, yeah, good on him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for getting through his. That's about five wives or six wives now, isn't it? Um, yep. But Aaron comes out first. He looks. I, I mean, he looks a business on, I think, and he's obviously he's wrestling yeah. Barry Windham later on tonight. But then there's talk of about, I think they tried, there was talks to try and get Tully to come back in. Yeah, I I think he might have um, tested positive for a substance. Or, well, that was the thing. So I think when... Well, it was all in like inverted commas, wasn't it? Yeah, so he'd, when Arnon came back in, when was that? That was like end of 89 88 89 yeah but they yeah that was the issue was that i think he tested positive for cocaine was kind of on his way out of wwf and yeah. then when it came to him signing a new contract with wcw nwa they offered him like a fucking ridiculously reduced deal on the basis of that and he was like nah i'm not doing that and i think there was still kind of bad blood leading up to this yeah, that's right. And he's, again, notoriously quite a... He was, I'm not sure if he still is now. Notoriously kind of quite a tricky customer to fucking deal with, I think. So so maybe that was the whole build-up to this, was they were going to reunite the horseman, but it didn't happen. Uh, but the, but I think if you, you had... If you were going to reunite the horseman, obviously, if you're going to reunite the... If the aim was to reunite the original horseman, if you can't get Tully, then you're slightly screwed. But you've got... Fucking Sid was a horseman, wasn't he? He most certainly was. And um, going back to what you were saying earlier, um, I suppose this would have been a, a better <laughs> return for him, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose if they had that storyline figured out going on of where Sid was going to go, he feud with Sting and Davey, then I suppose if, if he would have came in here, he definitely would have been the face, wouldn't he, Sid? So, mm. Well, um, again, we're, we're talking about a guy that goes baby face anyway, don't we? So... Yeah, yeah. Um, but Iron comes out, and then Ole comes out, and he, he's not quite, doesn't look quite as good as Iron in the suit, does he? No, he doesn't. But it, it was nice to kind of see him back in the horseman mold, I suppose. But yeah, he doesn't quite look right, does he? And there's talk about, you know, Wyndham's sort of screwed him over. He doesn't want to come back in. Tully doesn't want to. So you have to go and get someone else. They do. And I think this is where our. Opinions may differ, but go on. Well, no, I mean, I've got no issue with... I enjoyed Paul Roma in um, The Power and Glory. Oh, well, then I take it back then, because I think Paul Roma as a as a horseman 
wasn't a bad idea, to be honest. I mean... <laughs> oh, OK. I've massively overjumped here, ladies no, 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 no. I mean, it kind of makes sense, I suppose... I mean, if you look at the horsemen up until this point were, so you've got the originals, then you added Wyndham, Luger, Sid, Sting for like two weeks. Wasn't it? And that was yeah. like the, so the, the, all those people are kind of like, this is probably the first guy to come into the horseman who's not kind of elite. Yeah, but you're looking at somebody that's been pretty much a tag team specialist for the whole of his career. And like Arn and Roma team after this oh yeah and they had a really good dynamic together so yeah i mean i know in the long run it doesn't work with him as a horseman but actually i would make the argument that this isn't the worst situation of the horseman i think the the late 90s return is actually worse yeah i think the issue with this is it got roundly kind of shut on by the crowd as well didn't it? and it brought him out yeah but like like what what do they know? Like this is this is. I know, yeah. With. I this is my this is my bang bang Steve moment of the. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I won't try the accent because I tried <laughs> and I can't. But like the thing is, like the fans don't know everything. No. And the thing with guys like Paul Roma is that he's actually a perfect fit for the Horsemen. If you look at the Horsemen themselves, it was always the three established guys alongside somebody that they want to groom to be something. So yeah. to begin with, you had Tully Blanchard, then you had Wyndham, then you had Sid. So this is just a natural progression from all that. Like We've, We forgot if, Lex as well. Sorry, yes, Lex. Sorry, no, you're <laughs> right. And then we had Lex. Yeah. Um, no, I completely agree with that because um, the horseman made Lex. But when you look at it like that, if, if the fans had been more receptive... And if Roma had got a fairer shake from the booking committee, then he might have been that guy that was to be the the build up star in the Horseman, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean maybe the main issue with this was it was it was billed as like Flair's reuniting the Horseman, so people yeah, would have got hopes it. up for for Tully or for oh yeah know. yeah. So when Paul Roma comes out, it's probably people are on a downer from the start about it, but. But yeah, as a team, him and Arn were, were good. And it, it worked out. Yeah. He, he was a perfectly acceptable tag team wrestler. And he was. I mean, the the booing from that point of view is completely justified <sighs> because the fans wanted Tully. Um, yeah. So, so there, yeah, looking at it from that point of view, fair enough. But I don't know. I, I thought I thought Roma was a good addition, to be honest. He's better than fucking Mongo, isn't he? Definitely. That's, that is my problem with like the next iteration of the horseman in, in the late nineties is yeah, you've got you've got Benoit, you've got Malenko, you've got Flair, you've also got Mongo. Like yeah. like he's he's the fifth horseman in a four man team. That's how bad he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oh fuck, yeah. Um we get uh, Tony, Larry and Johnny Valentine, who's incredibly Greg Valentine's dad. Yeah. He sounds every inch of it as well on commentary, doesn't he? He wasn't the most charismatic, was he, on commentary? No, no he definitely like, wasn't. This match, I was close to packing this whole thing in and doing it. So it's uh, oh, Dory, yeah, yeah. Dory Funk Jr. In, uh, with Gene Kinski. Kinski, Kinski. Yeah, Gene. 
Nick, yeah. Nick Botwinkle with uh, Vern Gagne. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is billed as a big dream match, AWA versus NWA. Not in my dreams, mate. Well, I mean, I've written down I'm quite bored. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this yeah. would this would be a dream match if like Freddy Krueger was pulling the strings. I think, to be honest. Yeah. Um. So I mean, it's what I mean. Dory Funk, but he looks the oldest person on the show, to be honest. And he was not old at this point. He looked. No, he wasn't. And and again, he was he was due a ECW run in the following year with his brother. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah, that's not good. It is not good, honestly. Um, we, uh, I, I will be covering it on Accessible in the nineties, but yeah. for all the wrong reasons, it's not good. I can remember him wrestling on on Saturday Night's main event a couple of times with, with Terry Funk when he was called mm. uh, Hoss. Was it Hoss Funk? Yeah. Hoss yeah. Funk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he seemed to have aged about fifty years in the in the, the ten years that have passed. Not even ten years that have mm. passed. But no, yeah, no. this is a uh, a time limit draw, 15 minutes. So we've had now probably a good 45 minutes of these old people wrestling. Now, yeah, I mean, the thing is, when you get when you want these get these legends matches, you want a bit of kind of comedy or a bit of Dave. There wasn't really much. I suppose in the last match there was a bit with Baron Von Rasky and Thunderbolt Patterson. Mm. But this, this I suppose was two. I mean, it's two legendary wrestlers putting on a. Yeah a serviceable kind of match but it's not the most exciting is it no they they could have easily limited it to one match with the legends yeah for me and that was a six man and then you get Bischoff with Lou Fez I've never seen Lou Fez before I suppose I've seen Lou Fez <laughs> oh I know yeah and Bob Geigel yeah he's not the person that you picture is he in no. your mind yeah. And I was literally falling asleep at this point until they finish. And then suddenly probably the best theme music in the history of fucking wrestling comes on. I suddenly oh, yes. sprang back to life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's simply ravishing. <laughs> Ow. Oh, it's amazing. Isn't it and it so, is. Yeah, it's, it's mega. It it's really Rick Rude is. and Paul Orndorff right, in matching robes. And Orndorff yeah. looks like he's struggling to walk Orndorff. <laughs> yeah, just a bit, just a bit, like he's like he's making up for his Jeremy Beadlam, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was such a like I was like jolted back into actually this is gonna be quite good this pay per view after getting through all the fucking the old people in the interviews and the, the rem- reminiscing and um yeah we get Orndorff and uh, and Rude in their robes, the TV champion and the US champion. Yeah, it was nice to kind of tie both of the feuds into this match, I think. Yeah, against Dustin and uh, Kensuke. I've written it down. Sasaki. Yeah. 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 But his special roadwork, because he was like, it was him in, was it him in Hawk that were a team in New Japan? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the Hellraisers, I think they were. Yeah, and he had his like special Hellraisers t shirt on. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a rude and dusty roads around this period of feuding like continuously running for the for the US title. Yeah, that's right. And uh, although, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Rhodes had just come off a US title reign um, because Rude had been injured. And um, Ondorf and Sasuke, I think, were feuding for the yeah. TV championship, something of the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is, again, Ondorf looks like he's struggling to, to move. 
during most of this match. Definitely. And Dustin Rhodes, my long, uh, long-standing petition that Dustin Rhodes would have been a world champion if he stayed in WCW continues. Because yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a he's a giant. You forget how tall he is when you actually see oh, him. I know. Uh, so he was good. And um, yeah, this is a good match, but. I think you get like a tombstone reverse and that kind of thing. And but again, the finish of this is a bit a bit wonky as well. Yeah, this is where things kind of start to to downgrade on the finishing front, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like an, an a, a, a attempted rude awakening. I don't think um, Kensuke Sasaki has ever taken a rude awakening before because he ends up like on his face facing downwards, like <laughs> on his face. Uh, and rude and Orndorff win. But yeah. it's kind of a match for it's just kind of there. It's not for anything really. It's just continuing this feud between the four guys and um, yeah. And we get Gordon Soley in the ring. To oh yeah, for the, the Hall of Fame inductees to that the world famous WCW Hall of Fame, which I'd never even heard <laughs> of before. No, well apparently it had a physical element in the yeah. uh, CNN building. It did, yeah. So Gordon asked for a moment of silence for uh, lots of dead wrestlers, Andre the Giant and a few other people he mentioned. And he doesn't get one, does he? No. So the first inductees into the the infamous or the world famous WCW Hall of Fame are Lou Fez, Vern Gagne, Mr. Wrestling 2 and Eddie Graham, whose son comes out. Now, there's something weird. I think Eddie Graham and Mike Graham and they all, like the entire... Like lineage of Graham's all committed suicide, which is uh, lovely and <laughs> a heartwarming tale for this time on a Friday night. Most definitely. Um, so yeah, that was yeah more old people in the ring. Yep. Uh, we get Missy then with John Tolos and another guy whose name I can't remember, but John Tolos was coach in WWF. He was with Mr. Perfect, uh, the Golden Greek. I think he was called as well. And he gets quite, um, I think he's very taken with Missy, quite enamoured with her. And again, it's it's not really, I think a lot of this stuff probably shouldn't be on. I mean, you're charging people money, good money to watch mm. this. It's not really pay-per-view worthy, is it? It's not. I like. I can see what they were going with here, and it, it is a nice touch. But yeah, uh, but yeah they're, they're giving time to kind of guys that aren't doing it anymore when they've had a, apparently this was a, entire weekend with the legends yeah um yeah they they really could have given more time to the current stars and had one legends match i think yeah would have made more sense mm. but now we get the the main event of the evening which is sting versus uh the prisoner we don't know who the prisoner is yet no we don't uh no de- definitely not but um yeah you know who is the man that's going to be uh leading this six star classic andy well it turns out to be nels Literally, yeah. I'm a big fan of this time period in WCW where they didn't really have a, a handle on um, kind of copyright and any sort of legal stuff. So they bring people in and literally, I mean, they didn't call him Nels, did they? They called him the prisoner. But he was the literally, prisoner. he was wearing his WWF gear. <laughs> yeah, and also had his WWF nightstick as well, which... He uh, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which was a bit problematic. So I couldn't make sure out what they were saying, whether the, whether the crowd was chanting boss man or bullshit when he came out. I think it's probably bullshit, to be honest. Um, oh, well, I thought it was boss man, to be honest. It might have been boss man. It might have been boss man. I mean, I've, he, I've got I've got big ears, mate, so 
I don't miss anything to be honest. I mean, he hadn't um, he hadn't joined WCW by this point, had he? Boss Man. Oh Boss no, Man. no, not yet. Not not until um, well, it's either the back end of '93 or like very early '94. Yeah, yeah. Well, they uh, apparently they announced him from you know when he had the uh, the altercation with Vince. Mm. Whichever town that was in, that's where they announced him from. Oh, I see. <laughs> that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So obviously he was. I mean, he'd fallen out with with Vince, so they at short notice they were yeah. like, "Who can we get in this? You know, this available." Yeah. Or he'd at least fallen out of Vince, depending whose allegations you well, believe. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not a great match, is it? Um, It's probably the worst match I've ever seen in my history as a wrestling <laughs> fan, to be quite frank. <laughs> but, I mean, he wrestled again in, in... I think he wrestled, like, late 90s and came in and did a match with WCW as well. Oh, really? Now, what, as, as the prisoner? I'm not sure what he was called then. Oh well, I mean, I mean, I'll I'll look out for somebody that's constantly trying to choke his opponent, and that's how I'll know. Ask uh, Ask Rob. Rob will know. He wrestled. Oh, Rob will in... know definitely. No, he had. Um, he returned to WCW for several appearances over a six-month period from 1997 to 1998. His huh? return began on October the 6th, 1997, when he defeated Yuji Nagata in a, in a dark match on Nitro. Yuji Nagata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, and, I have totally wasted my fuck off on this episode. Goodness me. And his last I appearance. I swear for the year. His last appearance uh, was on April the 17th. Where he, he defeated Barry Darso in a house uh, on a, a house show. So goodness makes it. Oh, well, look, uh, uh, at least it's all limited to to house shows. But how how do you send that man to defeat Eugene Nagata? I know that was on a dark match of Nitro. So. Well, yeah. So so people saw it. I mean, that's that's terrible. He was also the Worldwide Wrestling Alliance's heavyweight champion in 1994. Well, good for him. Yeah. And he dropped the title to... Big Boss Man? Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> <laughs> what a lineage. A lineage hey, of no, champions. It, it certainly goes a, a long way when um, someone can make Brutus Beefcake look like Hiroshi Tanahashi. Goodness me. I want to see who the the former, the World Wrestling Alliance champions were. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan won. There, there isn't a list, unfortunately. Okay. Hacksaw Jim Duggan won. And Martin okay. Adams as well. Not the darts player, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so Sting won that match, unsurprisingly. Um, Un- unsurprisingly, but it wasn't for the want of trying. Um, yeah, like through through no fault of Sting's own, this was properly the worst match on the card. And this is a card where Baron von Raschke was resurrected from the dead. Hmm. You know, um, that that just goes to show you how bad this match was. It wasn't the best, no. Let me see the cage being put up like around the commentators when they're when they're talking. Yeah, for the, uh, yeah for the for the for the next match, which is the mm. tag team title match, Dos Hombres, mm-hmm. which translates uh, to. Two dudes, men. I think. Two men. <laughs> two, two men. Two men. <laughs> two men versus the Hollywood Blondes. Yeah. Two men who were suspiciously like, well, supposed to be suspiciously like Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas. Shane. 
Douglas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, who suspiciously left the company by this point, I think. And it was, very, I mean, very suspiciously, yes. Yeah, yeah. So they'd, um, I think the Hollywood Blondes had beaten Steamboat and Douglas for the championship uh, mm. a couple of months beforehand, and they had yeah, a few right. rematches, and then suddenly this mystery team, Dos Hombres, turned up and beat the Hollywood Blondes to get this match. Mm. At, but I don't know why it was in the cage. Any any reason why it was in the cage? No. No. no, no. I mean, none, none that I can think of. And I've, I've watched this entire feud because... Uh, <laughs> The thing is, um, it's it's all well and good if you're watching it live in the crowd, but throughout the whole of this feud, the commentary is taking nothing away from the fact that even with their full body suits and masks on, it's Steamboat and Douglas. They, yeah. they totally give nothing away. It's it's incredible. Even before the, they revealed themselves, like it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, yes, yeah, so they they got that match from winning the. But yeah, Douglas had gone. By this point, he so was Tom Zank under the uh, yeah this match. Who I mean, you know, when you're looking for somebody that you know looks like Shane Douglas in a, in a bodysuit, yeah, of course you go for someone that looks a lot better than him in a muscular point of view. Yeah, of course. I mean, Shane Douglas is probably flattered by the fact they picked Tom Zank to yeah. To cover too right. too I, I mean, this is this is good. Obviously, because it's, it's yeah, it is. It's it's the again, best it's, match of the night, to be honest. It's three legends and what and and Tom Zane, <laughs> like earlier on. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you forget how good Austin was before he became. I mean, he was good as Stone Cold Steve Austin, but before that, oh yeah, like like up until the neck injury, um, yeah. he was a, a fantastic technical wrestler. He really was. Yeah, yeah. And Ricky Steamboat, again, well documented on this show, what massive uh, Ricky Steamboat fans have always oh, been. Oh, yeah. It it goes without saying, like, that guy elevates any matches involved with. Um, and this is, yeah. He won't be involved with um, the famed Willie Wiggler when he makes his um, no personal suicide in the ring um, in Nashville, whenever that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Steamboat, I think he only had about a year left after this. In his proper wrestling career. Yeah, that's it. He has like a, a massive feud with Paul Orndorff after this, and then I think he disappears after that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, even at this point, he was. I mean, it's a, it's a good match. The end is uh, that when he gets to the top of the cage and takes his mask off mm. and does the sort of the body press on top of the cage, takes them both down. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah, that was a really cool moment, to be honest. But we end up, again, this is a pretty, again, another slightly ropey finish. <laughs> yeah, like, like just just sloppy. I mean, it really does. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know what to make of it, to be honest. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's the Hollywood Blondes win. So it's, it's the, the stun gun, which is Austin's finishing move, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah. Which is a good finishing move. It was. And, it was cool. It, it was a, a good use of the ropes, wasn't it? And Tom Zank eats a pin, obviously, because, you know, it's Tom yeah. Zank. It is. It, it's Tom Zank. He's, he's no longer part of WCW's Serious Tag Team. No, no, no. I, we get probably the best interview segment tonight. It's a Bischoff with Dusty, the ghost of Shoe mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ghost of Shoe Heart. <laughs> <laughs> this hey. is where we need Steve. Steve's... Hey. Steve. My two daughters <laughs> of married wrestling. Yeah. My, my, my youngest daughter, 
daughter number two, the heavy Davy, my my other daughter, um, Jeff Wheeler, has has married Jeff Wheeler. You want to try me? Yeah. That's a good Stuart impression. Well, I've been practicing it for most of the day, mate. So. Yeah. <laughs> Over this point, right? So, yeah, I mean, Dusty again furthers the feud with the assassin, which you know. Well, gonna, yeah, you know. That's going to pay that's off. That's going to lead to nothing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Stu, yeah, talks about his daughters and 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 the big the big rhino and the anvil and and Davy and and mumbles a lot and. Definitely. Uh, and then Mr. Wrestling Tomb talks, and he sounds like an old man, basically. And he probably was an old yeah. man. He he probably was, but to be honest, he was probably the most coherent of every old man that we've had at the moment. Yeah. To be frank, it's strange because Dusty was wrestling like a year before this. Yeah, and yet he decided that he was going to bring this energy to the show. Like, yeah. it, it it just sounds like not only is he retired, but he retired several years ago. Yeah. Um, then we get Aaron. So we got Aaron looking the looking the business coming out. Um, oh yeah. And Barry. So this this confused me this match because I thought cause, so Barry Windham won the world title against Great Muta at Super Bowl. Mm. That's right. Which was his first world title reign. His only mm. world title reign. And it seemed mm. to be a bit like it's a long time. I mean, it's probably he's, he's past his peak by this point, Barry Windham. Definitely. He was still good, but it, it seemed to be like a a, a bit late. To, yeah, to he was he, he was one of those like Lex Luger types, but in the early nineties where he had a a series of incredible matches with Ric Flair, and like this was back when Barry Windham actually had abs as well. Yeah, and really should have taken the belt off Flair there and then. But as I mean, I I, I don't mean to denigrate, but. Um, as per usual, they decided to pull the trigger on somebody like him far too late. Yeah. Well, that was the match when it, when, when Flair had left and they had the match with Luger and Wyndham. Yeah. When Luger right. won the title. And obviously, I think even by that point, Luger was kind of like slowly edging his way out the door. Oh, yeah. But he still gave it to Luger anyway. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, like that was probably your last credible chance to put a belt on Wyndham. Yeah, because the thing is, I mean, I know it was a completely different belt, but when you look at the um, NWA title on Wyndham, like it totally suits him. If it if it had more credibility to his name, that mm. belt would totally look right on him. Yeah, yeah, and again, you could kind of tell what the storyline was going to be because when they had the match at uh, Super Bowl, the whole thing about Super Bowl was oh, it's Flair's return, mm. and exactly. then Wyndham wins the world title, and Flair gets in the ring and tries to put the title around his waist. And he kind of turns away and you know reacts against Flair, and then again you think, well, that's where we're going. Yeah, exactly. And you know, if Flair's coming back in, Windham's going to lose the title to Flair. So immediately, yeah, he's won the world title, and you know where it's going in a few months. Yeah, time. which is a shame, really, because um, like if I'd been any younger and a lot more naive, I would have quite thought the fact that Arn was maybe going to go in with a good chance of getting the belt off him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It would. Um, it's a strange kind of time because I suppose with Flair coming back, it immediately turns a horseman kind of face, which is sort yeah. of weird. Arn was the face in this. I mean, I think this was from Arn's. I think this was in like Arn's hometown as well, pretty much. So Arn was a face, and Wyndham wrestled like a heel. Uh, basically, blades within the first two or three minutes. So there's lots of a big gusher, lots of blood everywhere. 
Oh yeah, like it looks a lot worse than it has any right to be, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, Wyndham wrestles a heel as a heel and tries to leave a couple of times, and uh, you get a spine buster, and Wyndham rolls out the ring to you know avoid the pin. Uh, so you get the, I think Arn pushes the ref down, and then it's kind of remorseful for his actions, and that gives Wyndham a chance to pick the belt up, and now Arn you get the pin. Yeah, that just cements Wyndham as being a heel going forwards. I think Beach Blast is, is Wyndham in Flair, I think, and Flair wins. So yes, it is. Yeah, he wins it there, and then so, that leads to the unification match. So, yeah, yeah, so you're getting yeah, you so you're leading the yeah, so Flair being the being the face cements Wyndham as a heel. It's, it's a good match, but yeah, like you said, it's probably it feels like too late for Wyndham, and this would have been a good good spot to maybe again Arn never won the world title, did he? This would have been a reasonable swap for Arndt to win the world title too, but it would. Um, it is quite criminal, really, that he didn't win a, a world title in his career. Because I mean, yeah, this would have been the right moment for it to happen, to be honest. Yeah. So that's the uh, one of the one half of the double main event done, and then we're on through to the to the to the actual proper main event. So I fucking love this match. <laughs> I've never seen this match. Before. <laughs> I was expecting not a lot. Again, I mean, this this is a massive surprise given that we've agreed with everything on this event. But do you know what, Andy? I yeah. agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the stuff I see that Davy Boy in WCW has been pretty, you know, mediocre. Yeah, definitely. But this, I mean, obviously everything Vader does in WCW is pretty much amazing. He was booked incredibly and made to look like a, a monster. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's the beauty of this match because I mean taking nothing away from Davy Boy, but like I, I was never the biggest fan of him to be honest. Um, like I know he was built up to be this big massive British star, and like SummerSlam '92 was the best thing that ever happened to him. But then like the WWF dropped the ball with him, so it just made him look second rate yet again, and then. He comes in here and, I mean, really, apart from the fact that he's thrown into this, like, main event picture, he's just another guy. But yeah, but both he and Vader have an incredible match. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not even, we're less than a year on from SummerSlam 92. Mm. And you would have thought after that, where well, he's, he's won the Intercontinental title in front of, like, you know, 90 odd thousand people, he's set up for, you know, for the foreseeable future. And then... Mm. Well, by November he was gone. Yeah. And then so, by the start of '93, he was wrestling in this country again in front well, yeah, of like he was, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah for like all yeah. star and stuff, wasn't he? Yeah. And then come to May, and he's main event in the pay per view for WCW against the world champion. But but yeah, this was again, I don't see many Vader matches in WCW where he's been actually matched against somebody who's almost a physical match for him. Yeah. You know, that was the difference between a lot of Vader matches in WCW. And so as a match goes, so Vader starts off and do this sort of power moves and Bulldog just kind of no-sells him and, you know, Vader looks shocked that all this stuff he does normally to, to annihilate people is having no effect on, on the Bulldog. Mm. And they both pretty much give it everything for this match. And I swear, this is a, a side of Vader which is kind of underrated, especially when he was in WCW, was he would sell. He, I mean, he'd be, he'd be brutal and his punches would be fucking stiff as anything he would lay it in thick but even oh, yeah. the matches against i think when he wanted to 
he could sell as well. Like his matches against Foley, he'd sell. I mean, a lot of it may oh, be yeah. maybe genuine because you know he's probably taken some pretty nasty shots. But in this match as well, he, he sold a lot of bulldog stuff. Um, and he did, and 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 that's the thing. It's like it's a proper back and forth match, which I, I think at this moment that's what like the bulldog needed really, because yeah, you know, like his his last few months in the WF weren't the most golden, because obviously the the steroid trial was coming up, and also like. The bloom had maybe been gone from the rose, um, but yet he comes in here and like he happens to—I don't know whether he catches Vader in a good mood or, or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. but they have like a proper decent power match, you know, at a time where that's all Bulldog can really do, and it's well put together. Yeah, apart got, from the finish, of course. Of course, of course, you've got Harley Race outside as well, adding a bit more to it. And yeah, so the finish is basically. Vader gets a chair, then Ian uses the chair, and there's a, there's a DQ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great match. Which is a shame, really. Um, I mean, I would have happily settled for a, you know, for the bulldog jobbing if it if it made sense. But again, like you said, this is the the time where WCW were for all for cheap finishes. Yeah. Yeah. And so in this instance, it doesn't make any sense because they don't carry this feud on like at all. Like even. I think the next episode of Saturday night, they start moving towards Sting. Yeah. Well, we get, because who comes down? So um, afterwards, Vader starts uh, attacking Borg, doesn't he? And then, yeah. Marcus Anthony Bagwell comes down to try. Yeah, um, like, totally living up to his rookie of the year hype. Yeah, yeah. But what's he going to do? <laughs> not, I wouldn't be the first person I said that. And, and Scorpio comes in and takes a, a massive bump, flies through the air. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Beach Blast is going to be Sting and Bo- uh, Davy against Sid and Vader. So, but yeah, but this is probably the probably the high point of Davy's career in WCW. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I know they they drag it out a bit with Beach Blast, but like after that, it's kind of he's relegated to TV. To be perfectly honest, yeah, um, I mean, he, had, he had a few feud, he had a feud with uh, like a mini feud with Regal, didn't he? Regal came in, they had a match for the. I think that was Beach Blast, maybe the year after when it was uh, Regal and Davy for the TV title, and it was like fifteen yeah. minute draw. Yeah, it was. But in but that, like, he was fucked. In that, after like five minutes, he was completely yeah, knackered. That's it. Because the thing is, like after after this little mini run here, he's he's literally used as a a spokesperson and nothing yeah. more. So this is around the time where like the Daily Mirror were using him for adverts because. He was a British wrestler that had made it big, but yeah. he wasn't actually having any matches. So he was back to his, you know, um, power move guest style. Yeah. Um, which, again, I mean, I, I've watched wrestling since the late 80s. So, like, guys like David Boy really bothered me because I knew what they were capable of. And yet, you know, this is what they'd drag themselves down to for the American market, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Vader retains with a, a wonky finish and a, mm. yeah. Let me get a bit of Magnum talking about. Um, I think he's got a slightly wonky eye in this Magnum as well. For some reason, I don't know why. Oh yeah, yeah it's here, there, and everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then we get to finish off. We get Tony and Larry and Vern Gagne. Very Vern Gagne is like, oh, it's a good show. I'm surprised how good WCW is. Basically, didn't think it was this good. It's very good. 
And I, that's how you finish. That's how you finish your pay per view. It's very gay. Yeah, that is how you finish with the the guy from the third brand saying yeah. the blatantly superior brand of the two of them. Yeah, being actually quite good when <laughs> his is nowhere to be seen. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's the way to finish your pay per view. Totally, yeah, totally. Get the absolute loser of the whole race saying that you're, you know, really yeah. good. Signing out for the evening, yeah. So, hmm. um, on the whole, then, did you enjoy this pay per view, Chris? On the whole, um, on the whole, I loved it. I mean, I know there's some people that don't like it, um, yeah. but I thought it was just different enough from what WCW were doing um, for it to be good. I mean, again, I've said this several times, they should have limited it to just one Legends match, yeah, um, and focus more on the current stars, but it was a really solid show like um i know there's a lot of things that went great but the only thing that was truly offensive like farting church offensive was the sting prisoner match but apart I, from that excellent show i mean scott norton was quite a big deal at the time wasn't he in japan oh massive deal i think he might have been a iwgp world champion at this point okay so i don't know i mean if 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 the plan was to have Sting versus Scott Norton, would it have been in the same place in the card as it was Sting versus Nels was? Um, and I suppose I mean, the plan was for us. Sting to go over, I suppose. That's why he didn't well, exactly, over. and that's the thing. I mean, either way, it might have been a, a palate cleanser still for everything that was around it, rather than, you know, whatever that fetid performance was. Would you like to know uh, Uncle Dave's ratings? I'm going to tell you anyway, so... Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, no, but I get a feeling that you're going to tell me. So, uh, Two Cold Scorpio versus... uh, Two Cold Cold Scorpio and Buff Bagwell versus... Well, Marcus Alexander Bagwell versus Bobby and Chris Benoit got two and three quarter stars. Okay, fair enough. Sid Vicious versus Van Hammer got a dud. Uh, Well, I... this is where my burn of contention is. I would okay. have said are not rated because it's quick enough. You, right. You can't call it a dud because it was very well put together. You can say it's not rated because it's not long enough. The six-man tag what match got one and three-quarter stars. Fair. Okay. Uh, Baron Von Rush, the, the ghost of Baron Von Rusky, <laughs> and he's still alive. He hasn't got a ghost. He's still alive. Uh and Ivan Koloff versus Thunderbolt Patterson and Brad Armstrong got uh, half a star. Yeah, and that half a star would have been Brian, so fair enough. Um, Dory Funk Jr. versus Nick Bonkwinkle. Bonkwinkle? Bonkwinkle got two in the quarter stars. That's the currently in the lead. Okay, I mean, it, 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 it wasn't a bad match. It's just that it wasn't a match for that kind of crowd, really. Paul Orndorff and Rick Rude versus Dustin Rhodes and Kensuke Sasaki got two stars. So, Botwinkle and Funk is still in the lead for the match of the night. Well, okay, the guy's got early onset dementia, but okay, uh, carry on. Sting versus the prisoner slash Nels yep. gets minus one star. Um, A bit pick- much, but okay. We're picking up now. The cage match, Hollywood Blondes versus uh, Steamboat in... Shane Douglas slash Tom Zenk gets three and a half stars. Well, I mean, Pillman was one of his mates, so fair enough. But I, I can't fault that, to be honest. It, it was probably the best match of the night. Wyndham and Arn got three and a half stars as well. Okay, yeah, good on him. Nice and one, then 
Davy and Vader gets three and three quarter stars. So that wins match of the night. I don't agree with that at all. To no. be honest, it was. I mean, it it wasn't a bad match, but I wouldn't say it was the best match of the card. To be honest, I I I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> I think he was a fan of Vader, wasn't he? I mean, yeah, but he was also practically sucking Brian Pullman off at this point. So you would have thought that that would have won his match of the night on that front because it certainly got nothing to do with his integrity as a wrestling journalist when you consider some of the things he's given higher marks to lately. Yeah, there's only a quarter of a star in it, so... Well, I know, but even so. I it, I mean, it was an excellent main event, but, I mean, for me, the cage match was blatantly better. Would you like to know what Nels's next match was after this? Go on, then. So he wrestled in the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax in 1994. <laughs> oh, wow, OK. And do you know who you lost to? Um, oh, Masahiro Chono. No, El Gigante. <laughs> <laughs> and that match didn't that get a rating. That sounds about right. No, Did it get no, a rating? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see if it got a rating. It, it didn't get a rating. No stars. For that oh, match. wow. <laughs> it was in Japan, so it was oh, probably... So, yeah, so it was probably at least four stars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh me. imagine that match. No. Now no, it's versus Dry Gonzalez. You can't yeah. make me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Now, in a minute, I'm going to get you to to pick a song for us to play it on, which needs to be your favourite current wrestler theme tune. So, okay. But while you're thinking about that, would you like to tell us where we can find you and plug your multitude of shows and interests and hobbies and that kind of thing? Yeah, certainly. So um, on a personal level, you can find me at Real Chris Bellis on Twitter. Um, do please follow me. I'll follow you back. Um, talk about wrestling. Talk about death metal. Um, talk about my adorable children. Talk about how thankful I am to Andy and Rob and Dan for not only giving me a platform, but also giving me the, the confidence to do a podcast. Um, talking of the podcast... You can find um, the Scottish Juggalo and I at One Man's Meat Pod on Twitter. Um, we are trawling the dusty annals of professional wrestling, be that um, wrestlers that are unappreciated or forgotten promotions, um, feuds that deserve a light shining on them, match concepts, whatever it may be. Um, we are part of the UTT developmental brand, so you can find our main shows on UTT podcast feed. Um, however, our spin-offs, which are currently disgusting, awful and acceptable in the 90s, can be found on our main feed at the One Man's Meet podcast. Um, we are also looking to have some guest hosts on. Uh, that will be a show called Pick Your Poison. It'll be a slightly different format, but basically um, our guest chooses a wrestler or a show and they completely control the show. This is to stop me talking quite so much as I normally do on One Man's Meet because I am very aware of the fact that I don't let Danny get a word in edgeways. Um, so that's where you can find me. Um, do please give Danny all the love he can for all the shows that he does because he is a guy that definitely deserves to be heard more. So do that, please, and thank you. Well, I mean, yeah, I can only echo all that stuff that Chris just said because Danny's, uh, Danny's a legend and 
you know, he was another guy who said when he came on, he was, he was, you know, he said that by coming on our show in uh, UCT, it's kind of helped him develop his confidence. And now he's gone on to be, uh, you know, a star of all these different podcasts. So it does. I do get a little bit emotional from time to time thinking that me talking this crap has helped some people kind of, you know, get a bit more confidence and go on and do their own thing. Um, so, yeah, it's great. And it, it makes me feel good. And I'm, I'm glad that you guys are all going off and branching out into your own little stuff and being amazing. So next week we are talking about Elimination Chamber 2015, which again was my choice. I'm joined by the uh, horror author and genuinely top bloke, Tom Simpson, Thomas Simpson from Scotland, good Rangers egg. fan. Yeah, he's, he's a good egg. Slightly upset the other night because Rangers lost on penalties in the, in the Europa League final. Uh, but some of the highlights of that card include... Um, Kevin Owens versus John Cena after Owens had just made his sort of WWE debut. Uh, Nikki Bella versus Naomi and Paige in a triple threat match. <laughs> um, Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins for the world title. Uh, the actually fucking quality tag team elimination chamber match, which is very good. Which is the big the New Day, Cesaro and Tyson Kidd, uh, the, the primetime players, uh, Los Matadores, the Lucha Dragons and the Ascension in that match. That's very good. It's and an incredible a, match. It's fucking really brilliant. Is. Yeah. And a, a elimination chamber for the Intercontinental title with some legends, uh, Ryback, uh, King Wade Barrett, R-Truth, Seamus, <laughs> Mark Henry and Dolph Ziggler. And oh, also banger. Neville versus Bo Dallas. I mean, come on. No, that that would be a good match. It would be I a good believe, match. To, actually, those guys had some band bearers in NXT. I've already watched that pay per view, and it actually is really good fun. Oh, cool. Owens, Owens and Cena, Owens and Cena is yeah. I mean, Owens. Is, oh, I I I remember that being a yeah. an excellent feud, an amazing feud. Yeah. Right. So thank you very much, Chris. Go and follow all of Chris's podcasts. Go and listen to all those. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening for. Enduring another two hours of <laughs> of general chit chat and bollocks, and uh, thank you very much. You know where to find the podcast. I'm, I'm surprised if you don't actually follow the podcast on Twitter. If you listen to this, then I'm impressed. But go and follow us on Twitter anyway. But I've got a Facebook page which I updated last in probably late 2021, so not much goes on there. I'm actually on uh, what's the um singing dancing thing tiktok i'm on tiktok you're on tiktok i am on tiktok yeah i'm not actually i can't wait to see you dancing to um dennis walkman yeah 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 i don't actually do anything on tiktok but i i'm on there so go in you know i mean you can follow us but i don't actually do anything there's not much point in following us but yeah we'll be back next week thank you very much and chris who are we gonna what what whose theme are we gonna play out on tonight well um this may take some digging andy my son but um (laughs) My my current favourite thing in wrestling right now, yeah. uh, believe it or not, given my issues with that company, is a AEW orientated thing. Okay. Um. So, um, should you be able to find anything, it would be anything entrance related to do with the acclaimed. Oh, I'm sure you can find the acclaimed music. I'm sure I love you the acclaimed. can. Everyone loves the acclaimed, don't they? 
The acclaimed are amazing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I am a massive hip hop guy, so I am anything yeah. for a rap intro. And um, while I can get it in, since I'm in a recorded format here, um, yes. in the meantime and in between time, stay beefy, Meatsiders. I don't think we could finish on anything else but that. So, like, you're going to hear the acclaimed music now. We'll be back next week. Take care, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everybody. Peace out. Thank Take you, care. buddy. Love See you, loads you And stay meaty. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> Yo, I'm going to lay this dude down like a sex position. I'm main event max. He's X division. So I'm sending you home. You're not a tough guy, Joe. you just injury prone. And I'm bad for your health. Got that towel because you can't stop playing with yourself. Tony, why we give this guy 